The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of this broadcast or podcast without the express written consent of Spaced Out Radio or Spaced Out Radio Limited is strictly prohibited. Listener discretion is advised. the mountains of British Columbia to you listening around the world. This is Spaced Out Radio with host Dave Scott. Let us play with all our toys and let us think that we're big boys and let us make a lot of noise but we're in the world and let us think we're Superman. You can follow us on our website spacedoutradio.com on iTunes and tune in. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio on Facebook at Spaced Out Radio Show, or on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Are you playing with Bigfoot and aliens again? Uh, Dad, you gotta stop haunting the goat. It's scaring them. All right, seriously, put down the pointy sticks. Word is. Alright, alright, alright. Buckle up, space travelers. It's time to go for a ride on Spaced Out Radio. Mr. Bumblefoot, Dave is ready for liftoff. Seriously, Dave? Really? Aren't you a little old for a tinfoil hat? I am. Toby. Bye-bye. 
Welcome to Space Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott. It's good to have you along for the ride on this Monday, April 24th, Tuesday, April 25th. If you're on the East Coast, hope you had a great day. We are live right here at Uncle Jimbo's Cabin, right here in the Great White North, as we are here seven days a week for your listening pleasure. Let's welcome in everyone listening in on our terrestrial radio stations, WQEE 99, Rock the Key down in Noonan, Georgia, the home of the Walking Dead. We're also live as well on the United Public Radio Network on 107.7 FM in New Orleans and over 160 countries around the world. We're live at spacedoutradio.com. Spreaker, the KTLK, the Fringe FM, our brand new affiliate as of last week, Renegade Talk Radio out of Las Vegas, the High Plains Talk Radio Network, and if you're listening in on Revolution Radio, remember the Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. All our music is provided by Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal, formerly of Guns N' Roses, currently of Art of Anarchy. Bumblefoot is the official music of SOR. If you're a social media junkie like I am, do me a favor. Follow us on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. Give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. On Instagram, you can follow me at Dave Scott, SOR. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn. Download our shows from iTunes. We're also on RadioGuide.fm, TalkStream Live, Player FM, and on Stitcher. And our website is SpacedOutRadio.com. And if you head over to Patreon.com for as low as a buck a month, you can become a patron of SOR as well. Now, if you want to take part in this show, you have to do me a favor because we do not take phone calls. You have to sign in one of the chat rooms, either on our website by clicking Listen Live, on Revolution Radio, on Spreaker, on the UPRN chat room, or if you're a valued member of the SOR Space Travelers Club, we want to see you there as well. Or if you're on Twitter, just like John, right now, you go to hashtag Space Out Radio, I'll get to your questions and comments in there as well. If you head to our website for just 5 bucks a month, you could become a member of the SOR Space Travelers Club. You could also read up on The Encounter Online, our brand new news section discussing everything paranormal put together by Eric Markham and Everett Themer. Check out my latest blog there as well. If you're a fan of ghost hunting, I highly suggest you read it. Yeah, we're going to get into that a little bit tonight as well. And if you've had an experience you can't explain, fill out an SOR Sightlines report. Our researcher, Mike Smith, is ready to find out what's going on. The final Monday of the month means it's time for Strange Days once again. As UFO Cops, Butch Witkowski is back for his monthly feature. Butch is a longtime ufologist and cryptozoologist who is a straight shooter when it comes to dealing with everything paranormal. Whether it's ET contact or ghosts running around a house to werewolves howling in the forests of Pennsylvania, Butch has a quick reaction team that can find out what's going on on a moment's notice. Yeah. We like him around here, too. Intrigued by the exciting stories of the strange and unknown Butch, a former cop, uses his investigative techniques to find out what's going on. 
or if he can even find a solution. He knows the strange occurrences are taking place, but solving the mystery behind them is a totally different story. It's the ability to help people that keeps the UFO cop team going. We welcome in Butch Witkowski once again. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing fine. Glad to be back. It's always good to have you back. But you know what? The hard realization is every time that you're here, we, we're starting another new final week of the month. I mean, man, I can't believe how fast 2016 has gone already. We're, we're a quarter way through already. It's stepping, isn't it? Or a third of the way, yeah. And everything else is stepping, too. UFO sightings are up. Paranormal uh, sightings or uh, investigations are up. Cryptid sightings uh ufology in general i mean it's uh everything is just going through the roof and i don't i have no clue why you know what butch we actually talked about this on a different show just last week do you think it has anything to do with the fact that we see a lot more people out there who are becoming spiritually aware and do you think that would have anything to do with it uh, yeah i think it has something to do with it but you know um it has its good points and its bad points. Uh, the good points are that um, people are studying, they're reading up, they're um, listening to people who've been at it a long, long time. And um, then the not-so-good part is the people that are relying on their training for whatever aspect of the paranormal they're going to get into on reality TV, which is always a bad, bad thing. It really is. And you know what? We're going to get into so much tonight, uh, Butch. But right before the show, you and I were having a conversation, and I asked you to read up on my blog because last week I had a, a team in here. And very good people, don't get me wrong. Very good people. However, we had a big disagreement in regards to the way the paranormal field has gone over the last number of years and they were a member of the taps team and if you don't know taps that's the the group that the reality show ghost hunters was based off of with jason and grant and all of them and and you know what kudos to them for having all of these splinter groups out there because the one thing that they have been able to do and let's start off with a positive here the one thing that they have been able to do is they have been able to bring some sort of you know paranormal unity into the field that really needs it because in the paranormal field the one thing butch that we all are concerned about is we all want to be taken seriously by the mainstream public the mainstream media you know and it's been a struggle it's been a very big struggle for a lot of people out there and yet i was very disappointed to learn about the rules of this group last week. So, if you haven't read my blog, go to spacedoutradio.com, click on the encounter online, and then right below the picture, you'll see Dave's Thought of the Week. And that's my blog. And, and if you haven't read it, take the time after the show, because it is pretty long. And I want to know your opinions on it. But I'll tell you, Butch, I, I really haven't had too many shows that I have done and we're at almost 700-plus shows here now. But I haven't had r too many that have made me scratch my head for an absolute week. And maybe I'm just going off a little bit too much on this, 
But did you take the time to read the blog? And I'm curious your thoughts, because I really trust your opinion on investigative technique. Well, yes, I did read it. And um, I think your questions were right on. The answers were way off. Look, uh, the folks that get involved with these, uh, I call them um, box store groups, where they have one group that starts a lot of groups, and before you know it, you've got everybody in the world, you know, buying their T-shirts, hats, and then they're advertising that they are part of the original group, which they are basically just some sort of affiliate. And... um, Training is usually non-existent. Uh, Like I said, they get their training from watching TV. Um, They take everything that they see on TV as uh, verbatim, and this is the way it's done, and this is what you should get as a result. And one of the things I find that truly upsets me is, and I'm not speaking of that particular group, but there are groups out there that actually charge people, and that just fires me right up. Um... We had an instance where we got involved with a, a lady. Um, I didn't handle the case, but I turned it over to some friends of mine who have been in, in the field for since 1979, as a matter of fact. And um, uh, I've been on excursions with them to cases where they were very empathetic to the people. I mean, they sat down and talked. They did uh, pre-investigation status on the property uh, a number of times before they even showed up. They did a walkthrough with the people. They took statements from everybody. They set up their equipment, which was top-notch stuff. And they um, did their job. They um, found what they found. Uh, They recorded it. They met again with the folks and showed them what they got. And then they went about going back a number of times to see if it was still going on or uh, if anything had changed. And I found it very refreshing. And then I went the other way around when I looked at that same case where the lady was charged $150 just for the group to show up. Uh, They walked around the house burning some incense and some incantations and throwing flour and holy water up against the wall and then charged her another $300 for the uh, cleansing of the house. Now, that to me is an investigation of any type. That's a ripoff. Now, there are groups out there that are very tedious, do their job well, uh, get it done, um, take care of their clients, uh, but there are a lot of groups, and that's sad to say, uh, and I've, I've seen a lot of reports on this stuff where people are complaining that they, you know, they got ripped off or they got charged or something was stolen from the house or you know that kind of stuff. So what it boils down to is, again, like I always say, if you're going to do this, and I don't care if it's ufology, paranormal, cryptozoology, whatever, first of all, realize that it's a a pseudoscience, which means no scientist will ever look at your work unless you either bring Bigfoot in the backseat of your car or you have a ghost in a bottle or you have a UFO parked in your backyard. That's the only way you're going to get their attention. They're not going to investigate anything or bring anything into the scientific community without the proof. And these groups are uh, have really made it bad 
for a lot of researchers out there that really, really do their work and do their job. And it's unfortunate. I don't think you'll ever stop it. It goes back to the old fortune and glory, um, which there's a lot of folks out there pursuing that or their 15 minutes of fame. Um, I often get asked, why don't I write a book? So my answer to that is, write a book about what? Uh, I got tons of information. I got thousands of reports. I got photographs. I got video. I got uh, tape recordings of noises and this, that, and whatever. But it doesn't prove a damn thing. So until I come up with the absolute proof, or anybody else out there that's researching comes up with the absolute proof, it's not going to go anywhere. And some groups will capitalize on that and use it as an excuse why they didn't have anything or find anything or have no proof. And then there's other groups that will just stand by the wayside and do their thing and log it, keep it together, and uh, try to present their case to the public and to the uh, scientific community. I guess the big issue that I had with it, Butch, was we are sending teams in who are hiding behind a what we think would be a credible banner, okay, a credible banner with the TAPS logo on there. And people recognize it because of the 12 years it was on television. Mm-hmm. And that's not always a good thing, but I don't think it's a bad thing. But I can't figure out the purpose or the life of me in a couple of things. And this has literally been gnawing at me for a week. Why are we going into a haunted location to only prove that it's haunted? They're rarely showing evidence to the client, unless the client asks. And once they show evidence, they basically throw it six feet under so it can never be used again. Even if the client comes back. They don't save it. The second part is, and this is the part that really got to me, man, was the fact that there's a lot of people out there, Butch, and you've seen them, you've dealt with them. They deal with a lot of situations that they are not prepared to handle. And if you have a ghost or a spirit terrorizing your home, you're looking for solutions. And now you're going to have this group come in who offers zero solutions because that's in their constitution or whatever you want to call it, coming in there to confirm that you're having it. And by the way, yeah, we're leaving. What good is that? What good is that, my friend? It is of no good. It, it means nothing. It's, uh, you know, like it's inviting a couple guys over to watch a football game on TV and feed them and get them all loaded up. And then when they're all done, throw them out the door. That's what it amounts to. You're in and out. You've done nothing. You've proved nothing. You've said nothing of any consequence, and you've logged nothing of any consequence, nor did you find any evidence. And if you did find evidence, you didn't prove it was good anyway. So it's um, it always sticks in the back of my head when I hear these stories. Uh, it's, it's the fortune and glory. It's, um, hey, we're from such and such organization, and we're here. We're going to do this. We're going to do that, and we're going to tell you what you got, and we're going to tell you what you found. Look, I sent you a picture earlier this evening of, from a case that I'm working on. And, uh, and the place is just paranormal central. And uh, the, the owner of the property is taking pictures. I'm getting the pictures. I've been to the property. It's just a place where even I don't feel comfortable going in and out of the place. And uh, 
everything that I've done there with uh, tri-field meters and everything else in my in my possession, uh, floor cameras, uh, infrared, all that stuff. Something's there. The house has an infestation. Now, it's my job to find out what caused that. That's number one. So we have a pretty good idea at this point what may have caused it. Uh, can I get rid of that infestation? I doubt it very much. It is it is really bad, and uh, fortunately nobody's been hurt or anything like that. But I have a purpose now to get in there and do everything I can do to try to help these folks out. Now, if I was on the other side of the fence, I would have went in there the first night, looked around, looked at a couple things, and said, "Oh yeah, well you got something here," and. Um, you know, just uh, sat around and shot the crap for a little bit, had a cup of coffee or two, and walked out the door and said, well, let me look at this, I'll get back to you, and never get back to them. And I find that in a lot of cases, and not just in, in the paranormal, in ufology. Um, we will not take any case, uh, UFO, paranormal, or cryptozoology, uh, that's being investigated by another group. I, I just will not do that. Um, now, if that other group asks for help, that's a different story. But to butt in on somebody's investigation, it's just not going to happen with us. Never has, never will. I did have one guy tried that back in 2009. He got fired immediately. Um, so it's um, it's almost it's a conundrum because you don't know what their real purpose is of going in there and flashing off the hats with the logo and the T-shirts and and some equipment and 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 pretty much just bullcrapping their way through the whole session. And when they leave, they have not done anything for that client. That client still has the same issues, the same questions that it had before they showed up. So they gained absolutely nothing but more headache and maybe more anxiety. And the uh, other guys walk out patting each other on the back like they did something when they absolutely didn't do a damn thing. And it's disheartening, but hopefully uh, the group of researchers that I've watched now for a few years coming up are um, better trained, um, show a lot of empathy to their clients, uh, don't charge any money, um, ask for help when they get stuck, uh, are, are willing to use uh, whatever they can to try to find out what the issue is with the property or, or the person or whatever. And some people just, you know, specialize in certain things, and that's good. And then there's people that will uh, dabble in a little bit of everything, paranormal, cryptozoology, and uh, ufology. But um, what people have to understand is that if a group is actually truly looking for an answer and they have, it's in their heart and their mind to find out what the problem is, that group or individual who's ever doing the investigation should go to no ends, none whatsoever, to try to find out what's going on and relate that exactly the way they see it to the client without no bull crap, uh, no lies, no um, premonitions or, or a wild shot in the dark. Because if they're going to do that, they should just take along a dartboard, hang it up, and just throw darts and say, well, if I hit that part, it's a ghost. If I hit that part, it's UFO. And if I hit that part, it's Bigfoot. And um, uh, there have been changes. A lot of these groups, like you're talking about, have gone by the wayside. Uh, they're not there anymore. Um, uh, for whatever reason, and uh, that's a good thing. So hopefully in the near future, these uh, uh, folks that are out there really busting their butt to get it done 
are going to succeed. And I know from my end, um, and a lot of people I work with know this, if, if they need my help on anything, well, we're there. No question about it. We'll do whatever we can to help them. Um, and then there's some groups that could call, and I'd pretty much just say, mm, thank you, but no thank you. But one of the things that really concerned me was the fact that they don't store the evidence. They do nothing with it. And, That's and crazy. This is what blew me away. How are you supposed to solve anything if you don't do anything with the, with the evidence? And TAPS has probably some very, very good people working for them under the banner. And with that amount of brain power and those amount of studies, you would think they would have some sort of computer database to take all of those studies, all of those cases, all of the good findings, the real credible findings, so that way they could study them to maybe try to figure out what the hell is going on. Is there life after death? What is happening with all of this phenomena? But no. Instead, the main goal is to prove whether or not a place is haunted. That's it. You know, you can walk into any old home, just park along the highway and find an old abandoned house, walk in and say it's haunted. So what did you do and what did you accomplish? Zero. And that makes me crazy. It's just like uh, some of these uh, old uh, buildings and prisons that these people go to. I mean, uh, one one place in particular uh, here in Pennsylvania they must have a paranormal group in there every day of the week, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And some people go in, they don't see nothing. Some people go in, they see everything. Now, they're all in the same place. Some of them, as a matter of fact, in one case, I know a guy that's been there 27 times. He's never found a thing. But yet he goes, and he goes, and he goes. So he spends time, effort, and money going down to find absolutely nothing. And then there's other people that say, well, we got this, we got this, we got this, we got, well, can I see it? Well, that's, uh, that's proprietary uh, information. We, we don't share our information. Now, <laughs> if you're asking for my help, at least show me what you have. Because if you just want me to take your word that you saw a shadow run across a hallway, you know, that's not going to get me motivated. Now, if you show me video and pictures and or footprints or handprints or whatever of something in that hallway, you have my attention. But unfortunately, like you said, they don't store anything. And if they do store it, nobody gets to see it, including the client. So the client's supposed to take their word that what they saw or heard or photographed or videoed or whatever is factual. I don't know of too many people that are that dumb to do that. I mean, that would stand there and you know, let somebody, you know, walk all over the place and then come out and say, well, it's haunted, and then get in their car and drive off. That's just nuts. But that's unfortunately why science is not going to get involved in any of this until we, as researchers and investigators, come up with the proof, and the proof in whatever manner, but the proof. It has to be, here's the story, here's the report, here's what we did, here's the evidence, here's the proof, what else do you need? And then, and only then, will you may have somebody that actually steps up and says, "Okay, we're willing to take a look at that." I'll uh, tell you, and I don't. I'll tell you, no, I, I, ac- I actually had to 
beg them coming into hour number two because I knew where it was going. Mm-hmm. And I had to beg them into hour number two, please don't use the word science. Please don't use the word science because everything I'm hearing, there is nothing scientific you were doing. Nothing scientific. And you bring up a good point. There are so many in this field who want to be taken seriously, who want to have the public. I'm one of them. I have no problem saying that. I want the mainstream media to take this show seriously because we have a lot of brilliant people on as guests. We have a lot of even more brilliant audience members. And I would love for the mainstream to take this seriously. We could bring some good nighttime radio back to where it belongs, on the radio, not online. But the whole point that I'm saying is, we all in this field, one way or another, yearn to have mainstream science, mainstream media, mainstream people take us seriously in the research that we do, Butch. And the way I look at it, when I see a group like this explaining to me what the biggest name out there is doing for investigative techniques... I'm dumbfounded because nothing they are doing is scientific. They're not in a controlled environment. They're not conducting proper experimentation. They're doing nothing with it. And I know I've harped on that topic dozens of times on this show, and I'm sure, you know, my ad nauseum anger towards it really has a lot of my listeners like, oh, again, here he goes again. But now we have proof to what I am saying. Because the public, guys and girls, doesn't know about 98% of these paranormal teams out there. But they do know TAPS because of the television show. And that's where they're going to shop when they have an issue with a ghost in their house. It's dangerous when you have people who have no clue what science is, Butch, throwing that word around. Well, yeah, it's, it's uh, unfortunately, that's the cause of the giggle factor. You know, uh, that giggle factor has been around a long, long time. So somebody says, well, I'm a paranormal guy, or I'm a ufologist, or I'm this, or I'm that. And you get the giggle factor, and that comes from the media or anybody else. Uh, these are the people that have perfected that giggle factor. They put it out there. They started it a long time ago with nonsense, um, bad investigations, bad reports, sometimes even bad books. Um, uh, I don't know how many have gone by the wayside, probably a dozen or more schools, online schools that were going to teach you how to become a, a, uh, a paranormal expert, a, uh, a ufologist, a uh, cryptozoologist. Well, first of all, there's no such thing as a cryptozoologist. That's number one. Nor is there anything like a ufologist. Uh, Ghost hunter, yeah, I guess you could say that. But when you start throwing names around, it's almost like you're trying, these groups try to create a brand. They're, They're like branding themselves so that everybody knows who they are and what they do and, and, you know, how great they are and this, that, and the other thing. And, I, you know, I watch these groups fall by the wayside all the time. Uh, just in this year, I know of five groups right here in this state that folded. They just folded. They weren't doing anything. I mean, you know, uh, 
So you got a group and you sit around and you uh, talk about the weather or you talk about something you saw on TV or or uh, you sit there and you discuss um, something that you'll never be involved in, like say there's a case in British Columbia. Well, why would people in Pennsylvania be discussing a case in British Columbia? They're not going to do anything about it, nor do they know anything about it, nor do they know anybody that even investigated the case. They don't know those people. But they read it somewhere or they saw it online or they saw it on a blog and all of a sudden there's a big discussion. So they sit there for three or four hours, and what did they come out with? Zero. They didn't learn anything. They didn't do anything. But yet they're, you know, they're a, a paranormal group or a cryptozoology group. I, I, just, I just like to stick with the people that I've worked with, that I know, uh, that I can trust, that you know tell the truth if they need help they're not ashamed or afraid to ask for it um i just think that all these groups um have to get their act together now don't get me wrong there's a lot of them out there do have their act together a lot of them but there just seems to be that core branding group that is out there it's like uh Nothing to do today, so let's go play in the sandbox and see if we can find a ghost. Or, you know, let's go out and at the baseball diamond and watch the st- sky and see if we can find a UFO and make a report on it. That's not the way it's done, number one. But hopefully, Dave, in time, hopefully, it will wash itself out. Because the people, like your listeners, you got some really smart people on here. Uh, you know, I, I watch the blogs uh, and I watch the uh, message boards, and um, I mean, these people are asking questions that I've never heard asked by an, a researcher or an investigator. So, if the general public is that far ahead of them, why don't they just give it up and take up bicycling or hiking or something? Get out, get out everybody's way. <laughs> What's your opinion then on the thoughts of psychic mediums? The TAPS group does not allow psychics to be a part of an investigation for the fear that or for the understanding that a psychic medium cannot be trusted with the evidence well i have very little experience with the psychics mediums some but not a lot and i have just started getting uh uh, some information uh that on one of our cases that we're involved in right now where we used uh, an rv group remote viewing group in Australia. And uh, again, I come right out front. I don't know squat about that. I don't know how it's done. Uh, I, I was sent a uh, an old case to look at how it came about and what, you know, what the results were and stuff. And they had our case uh, and we got their report back and I was stunned. We're talking about people in Australia and what they're describing with the only knowledge they have from us is uh, coordinates, nothing else. And uh, this is what they see, this is what they drew, this is what they show us, this is what they tell us. And I'm sitting back here in my chair just leaning back, shaking my head, going like, how in the hell can they do this? So when everybody talks about RVing, if, if they've uh, never heard of it, look it up. There's a lot of stuff on RVs. Uh, but... This is the first time I had one done, or had a, uh, one done for a case that I'm working on, and uh, 
I, I don't know, Dave. I don't know what to say other than it was just, it was amazing. What they drew, how they drew it, what they told us, uh, um, location, what the area looks like. I mean, these people are in Australia. <laughs> I'm in Pennsylvania. I get it. Uh, I get and it. I, and I back here, and it just floors me that there's some, there's some people out there that have this gift. And... Um, and, you know, with so little information given to them, they pretty much, now they don't know the case, okay, but they come back with what they think or what they saw or what they think this is or what that could be and all this stuff. To, and, you know, when I put it all together at the end of reading the report of a few number of pages, I went like, how in the hell do they do this? How do they do this? How do they know that? How did they know where this was? Or how do they know where that was? Or how did they come up with this? I mean, none of this stuff was given to them at all. They had coordinates. That's it. And uh, when they doing this remote viewing, it, it, it was strange to me. Like, how they explained it was, it's like they're looking from the top down through a glass, like a glass house. They're looking through the roof. And this is what they see, or they're looking through the side, and this is what they see, or they're looking from underneath, and this is what they see. And I want to tell you something: they were dead on. They were dead on, and uh, they're still they're they're doing more, and hopefully it'll help us with what we got because what we got is pretty much beside that house that I showed you a picture of. Uh, one of the um, <coughs> excuse me, strangest cases I've ever worked on ever worked on and we're going to get more into that house in hour number two and i can tell you right now i have experience with remote viewing i've never done it myself but recently we were having some strange activity happen around here and eric cooper from forest moon paranormal he has a reactionary team that takes care of what he likes to call emergency paranormal situations. And he actually had one of his remote viewers on his team come to my house. And he came uh, two nights in a row trying to figure out what is going on. And it's kind of funny because the first day he comes in and he opens up the front door because when you're remote viewing, you can open up a door. Like the locks mean nothing. And he opens up the front door and he said there was this fire elemental standing right in the middle of the hallway saying, what are you doing here? You're not allowed here. Get out. Whoa. And, and so when he started breaking it down, he goes, okay, I saw a fireplace. And this fire elemental is very protective from the person who uses the fireplace a lot. And I said, well, that's my wife. Because my wife is a burnaholic when it comes to firewood. Lord knows, I went through 10 cords of wood this year. And I had to cut all of that myself. You know, so, you know, you know how difficult that can be. Like, wow, I was in great shape coming through the winter. I don't know what the hell happened over the winter, but my God, I want, I'd like to get thin again like that. However, what I'm saying is, this, the next night, so he calls me up that night, uh, the next night, and he's like, I can't get into your house because of this fire elemental. So I said, okay, well, what do you need me to do? And he goes, can you go in there and just talk to the fire elemental and see if he'll let me in? 
Sure, not a problem. So here I am in the middle of the night after one of my shows going, uh, Mr. Fire Elemental, sir, uh, do you mind, uh, you know, uh, letting Tony into our house? He's going to be coming about, and I gave the time that he was coming in on the remote view. And so when he came in the next time and I talked to him, he's like, he goes, man, you, your house is like a Kmart blue light special. He goes, you got, he goes, you got everything. You got the fire elemental, you got the ghost, you got the aliens, you got the, 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 the fairies roaming around. And, and he said some personal things that were very confirming for me. Then he goes, you got Sasquatch in the backyard. I'm like, I'm in British Columbia. You know, I got everything in the backyard here, you know, but it's amazing. Like you said, how absolutely accurate they can be. Well, I, just to answer a question for Everett on the uh, in the chat room there in the SAR chat room, he wanted to know the difference between remote viewing and psychic abilities. With remote viewing, very little information is given to the individuals that are going to do remote viewing, and remote viewing on most times is done by a group. So there is a head of the group who will get the information, and then they will share that information with three, four, five, six other members. And then when that remote viewing is done, all that information is from everybody is put together. And all the matches uh, are what you get. So if, if uh, uh, in the remote viewing, uh, one guy sees a house, and uh, it's just a house, but in the, another one sees a house, but there's a pool outside, and then the other three see a house with a pool outside or some type of building with a pool outside, that's the one that's used. The other one is discarded. And psychic abilities uh, would be like um, if a person was missing, uh, and uh, they were uh, the psychic was working with the police officer, uh, with police officers, and the police officers would give them lots of information uh, when the person went missing, uh, where they found blood in the house, um, uh, the type of car that might have been used in it, and and they they get a lot of information. And then what they do is they're usually an individual, not a team, and they will uh, just zero in on all that information and whatever comes to mind to them like they may see uh in their in their ability uh they may see a, a a road and there's a red farmhouse to the right then they'll say to the police well i see a road with a red farmhouse to the right is that correct and they'll you know yeah there is one like that it's 10 miles out of town and my, uh, the next thing i see is a, 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 an old shed and um uh, there's something behind that shed and the police go back and they find a body so they get a lot of information now they're not always right uh, neither are remote views. Remote views are closer than uh, a psychic uh, would come to, uh, only in the information they gather as a whole. Um, in our case, like I said, we gave them coordinates. They came back with pretty much a damn plot plan, plus some information that only we knew that they picked up on. And uh, I, when I read it, I, like I said, I just sat back here in my chair and just shook my head and went, wow, this is amazing. How do they do this? You know, and, um, uh, you know, remote viewing goes back a long time. I mean, governments have used and trained remote viewers uh, to locate military bases, to locate uh, artillery or groups of soldiers or ships at sea. And... Um, they're pretty remarkable in their rate of success. Uh, and some psychics are too. Uh, uh, you know, you may have a psychic in New York working on a murder case in California. Uh, 
and getting great information out to the police officers. Now, like I said, they're not always successful. Uh, I know a psychic that was involved in a, from Florida that was involved in a murder case, and that individual found not only the car, uh, but found bloody clothing, uh, found the weapon, and uh, found everything that was involved in that case that the police didn't have, but never found the body. So I guess they have their limits. But unfortunately, the body was never found. Shark food down there, my friend. Alligator mm. food. Whatever it could mm -hmm. be. I think the big thing is what we need, Butch, out there is we need some sort of of task force and, and I hate to use that term so loosely like I am but is it time for some of the lack of a better term the bigger names out there Butch to finally come together as a team maybe 20 to 30 people and draw up some sort of paranormal bible that teaches people how to investigate I think, yeah, great, great idea, but I think the only thing that's going to hold it up or back it off is egos. Egos in in the whole paranormal, paranormal genre is unbelievable. I mean, you got people that never saw a UFO, ever, that wrote five or six books. You've got people that never saw a ghost or anything spiritual, demonic or otherwise, that are teaching classes. Uh, you have uh, uh, researchers of Bigfoot that never seen, smelled, or even got close to one of these creatures. And um, people always say, well, then you believe in Bigfoot. Look, I believe there's something out there people are seeing, and what they're describing, yeah, it resembles a Bigfoot, period, end of story. Nobody's ever debunked the Patterson-Gimlin film, period, end of story. So was Patty the last of her, of her, of her people? I doubt it. Uh, there are very uh, many credible sightings. Uh, you guys had one, you know. Uh, I know people that have had credible sightings, and I believe everything they're telling me. Uh, but it's just like in ufology. I believe people see stuff in the sky. Uh, but like the guy said, one guy said to me just recently, he said, I had the camera in my hand. In my hand. He said, I never took a picture. You know, it was stopped. He said it was uh, about 15,000 feet. It was overhead. So the brain, <laughs> trying to figure out what he was looking at, forgot to tell him to pick up the camera. And that happens a lot. I mean, how many hikers uh, uh, have said, you know, what they've seen, you know, just a walk through the yard, through the backwoods, and, you know, they've come across these, these, these um, beings. Um and, and again, with an open mind, yeah, they could exist. They could be out there. They could be there for a very, very long time. We don't know that. They could be an offshoot of uh, a lot of things. Uh, I'm not all sold on the hybrid bit, but, um, and, uh, but you know, it's, it's something that if you're doing the research, you don't only have to keep your mind open. But you have to follow up on every little thing you hear. And whether it comes out good or it comes out bad, that's just the way it works. But you can't debunk everything. 
and uh, although there's a, <laughs> a pretty good amount you can, uh, you can't debunk everything. And you, you have to approach, no matter what you're doing, you have to approach it as this is new, uh, I'm a dummy, I don't know anything, now I'm going to learn, and I'm going to use everything I got in my power, in my brain, in my truck, you know, on my hip, on my shoulder, whatever. This is what I'm going to use, I'm going to try to find out what this is. And you can walk away satisfied that, you know, you found something, or you can walk away and go like, damn, I should have brought the camera. <laughs> what do you do with your evidence? Uh, evidence, uh, well, it depends what it is. If it's, uh, you know, physical evidence like dirt or um, pictures are here in a safe. Um, I also have a separate file I keep all the pictures in, and that's not here at the home. Um, I ship that off to um, a cloud, actually. <clears throat> um, I always get written permission when I get pictures or video, um, even statements. Uh, I'll keep certain parts of the statement, uh, names, addresses, locations on that. No way. I, I, that's, that's, I put that away. That's, that's, you know, I don't know if I'd ever get burglarized. I mean, if anybody's dumb enough to come in here and get shot, well, that's their problem. But um, uh, the personal information is not kept here. Um, and a lot of times, most of the time, I would say 99% of the time, uh, I know the location, I have that location, but it's not on that report. And it, it just brings up a funny thing that I just uh, ran into uh, a couple months ago where a guy said uh, he was just being bugged to death by another group to get into his research area, and nobody shares their research area unless it's going to be help coming in to help them, Correct. So uh, to put this guy at the end, because he just had enough of it, he sent the guy uh, the location, coordinates, and everything else. Uh, and one of his uh, research colleagues looked at him and said, like, what the hell did you just do? He said, well, actually, I sent him 150 miles away from our research area. <laughs> I said, that's brilliant. <laughs> it's I want to get you know. to I want to get to one other thing here because we've got about five and a half minutes before we got to go to break, and I think this is important. Earlier, you just mentioned about debunking, and that there's so many people out there who think it is their role in this entire paranormal field to try and debunk every claim out there, whether it's Patterson Gimlin, whether it's copper wires running through an old rustic house whether it's the fact that aliens don't exist or shouldn't exist, so on and so forth. Have we taken the skepticism, Butch, with all of the experiences out there a little too far? Uh, <laughs> the skeptics uh, will always be there only because of their lack of knowledge. That's number one. And if a skeptic ever says to you, Dave, uh, I don't believe a word you're saying, what you saw, whatever it is, Bigfoot, UFO, ghost, just look them in the eye and say, okay, then what do you think it is? Most of them just shut up and walk away because they don't have an answer. So, I mean, it's very easy. Even sitting here, I could say, if somebody sends me a report and I, you know, call them on the phone and say, you're nuts. There's, it's impossible. There's no way this could happen. I can't do that because I don't know and I don't have an answer. Or when people say, well, what's your opinion 
Well, I'm certainly not going to give my opinion because I don't have one. I don't have an answer. And if I don't have an answer, why would I give an opinion? Because if I give an opinion, I'd be lying. And uh, skeptics, uh, you know, look, you could drag... You could drag a dinosaur into their living room, and they'd, they'd cry hoax. Um, they are what they are. Now, years back, there were lots of them, lots of them. There were hundreds of them. Now, you're down to about a dozen. And uh, when you look at their websites or blog pages and look at the amount of people that are hits they get, I remember in the early days when I got involved in this, pages on pages and pages and pages of just they down everything. Now, if you find a page and a half, you're lucky because nobody pays attention to them anymore. If you're going to stand up there and tell me that that was not a UFO that I just saw scream across the sky in less than a second from horizon to horizon, zigzagging all the way and changing colors, and then shoot up into the stars, if that's not a UFO, then you need to tell me what it is. If you can't tell me what it is, you need to get out of my face. But are we taking the skepticism too far? There's a oh, lot of, I think there's a lot of people no. butch out there who who just are hell bent determined to make sure that everything has a practical answer and I'm all for skepticism. Trust me, I am all for skepticism even in my own cases that I have had things go on with me. There are things that I don't want to believe. There are things that I want to test out to make sure that I am not one of those you know people who just believes every story you have to have a healthy dose of skepticism with this range of research however the facts have to prove but we have so many people like you said i mean a ufo could land right in the middle of the white house lawn the president could come on and say ladies and gentlemen ufos are here here aliens are real they'll be moving in next thursday so you know we're gonna have to build another wall this time over the country, or something along those lines, and yet these skeptics will not believe it because no. nothing can, conf- can make that happen for them. What every investigator out there should be, and I don't care what they're investigating, they should be, first of all, above all, the number one thing they should be is a skeptical believer. Got it? So be a skeptic, be a believer, But you know what it takes to be a believer. Proof, evidence, a lot of things. If you don't come up with any of that, then you can be a skeptic. But you need to be a skeptical believer. And uh, I pride myself when that's pretty much the way I handle everything. I'm a skeptical believer. Yep, it's a great story. Now let's let's get to work and uh, let's prove it or you show me what you got. And if you ain't got it, then you ain't got it. And then it's just like, if I show you this photograph, or I show you this evidence, or I show you this lab report, and this is what it says it is, I'm proving to you what it is. I didn't do the lab job. Uh, So if you don't believe the lab, or you don't believe the photograph, uh, then you need to tell me really what it is. And that's usually when they walk away. I've never had one stay when I ask that question. They always walk away. They don't have an answer. And, you know, like you said, they could land a, a saucer on the White House lawn and you'll have the New York Times or some newspaper saying, like, we don't know how they did it, but we're pretty sure that this was made up by Hollywood. 
or this is some kind of uh, uh, hologram or something. And they're just trying to scare people. So your taxes are going to go up next year because we're going to, like you said, build a wall over the country. I, I have a lot of faith in the new researchers out there and, of course, a lot of the old ones that are still around. They, uh, they know how to handle a skeptic. And uh, one thing that a skeptic really has it going against him when he's doing all his mouth shooting off. I'm going to get you to save that right for... Right for when we come back for the break. Butch Wachowski is our guest tonight. Strange Days happens the final Monday of every month. Butch will be back on Space Out Radio May 29th. You're listening to the Mighty SOR. We'll be back right after this. From coast to coast to coast, Blacklight Uncharted is taking on the paranormal across Canada. From ghostly hauntings to the UFOs flying above in conjunction with MUFON Canada, they're closely investigating what's going on in the northern skies and checking out the apparitions that walk among us. Check out our videos right here at spacedoutradio.com. We want to know your thoughts, we want to hear your experiences, and we want you to share your stories. The answers are out there, and we intend to find them. Would you like to become one of our space travelers? All you have to do is click on the space travelers icon at spacedoutradio.com. For only $5 a month, you can get access to some great prizes, as well as private monthly shows, newsletters, and a members-only section on our website. Become a space traveler today. The third Monday of every month, Spaced Out Radio is going to bring you a different look at everything paranormal. Welcome to The Reporters. Jim Mallard, Vanessa Hogel, Denise Garcia, and Christina George join me, Dave Scott, for a look at the weird and strange from the other side of the microphone. We'll break down ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and the people investigating them. The paranormal media has never been heard like this. Come listen to The Reporters. It's paranormal news at its finest. Welcome to The Encounter. At spaceoutradio.com, The Encounter Online is SOR's trusted news source for everything weird and strange going on around the world. This is news editor Eric Markham. Our team of journalists are scouring the planet for those strange stories that rarely make the mainstream. No fear-mongering or fake news here. Head over to spaceoutradio.com and encounter The Encounter. Hey, this is Canadian Paranormal Investigator Mike Moore. The third Wednesday of every month, I'll be teaming up with Dave Scott to bring you Ghosts of the Great White North. Each month, we will bring on guests from across Canada to discuss their ghostly encounters. Canada is a paranormal hotbed with stories you've never heard, so we're going to bring them to you. So get comfy on your Chesterfield, grab a donut, and join us, eh? Have you had an experience you can't explain? Had a run-in with ghosts, maybe Bigfoot, or seen lights in the sky? Hi, I'm Mike Schmidt from the SOR Sight Lines. I'm here to investigate your sighting. Head to spacedoutradio.com and fill out a report on the sight lines. All your information is 100% confidential, and I will help you figure out what you've been seeing. File your report, and let's find out the answers together. Visit purpleplates.com today. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, 
How can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit and expect a miracle. Are you interested in advertising on Spaced Out Radio? Head to our website at spacedoutradio.com and click on our advertising tab. There, you will find an assortment of ways you can get your product out there with us, from radio commercials to banners and social media. Have a product you like our hosts to endorse? We can do that too. Visit spacedoutradio.com for more details. Have you got your Cosmic Passport? If you need one, tune in to Cosmic Passport on Spaced Out Weekend. This is Elizabeth Anglin, ET experiencer, spirit medium, and host of Cosmic Passport. Each weekend, I'll be bringing you interviews and support from other paranormal experiencers and the best in intuitive spiritual guidance from across the globe. It's all happening starting at 9 p.m. Pacific Time, midnight Eastern, on spacedoutradio.com. From British Columbia to Northern California, Pacific North Weird has Cascadia covered. Check out our feature videos at spacedoutradio.com, where I, Vincent Zunza, and my super sleuth partner, Alexandra Sullivan, track down the weird and strange stories from around the Pacific Northwest, from Bigfoot to Mel's Hole, and everything in between. This is what makes life exciting. So why report the normal when we can report the Pacific North Weird? Right here at spacedoutradio.com. Every Saturday and Sunday night, as Dave Scott wanders aimlessly in the wilderness, you can come hang out with me, James Tyson, and Spaced Out Weekend. Starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, I'll take you along as we talk with some of the best experts in their fields. Spacedoutradio.com is the place to find us. So sit down, relax, put your feet up, enjoy the topics like the paranormal, supernatural, intuitiveness, and so much more. Hope to see you there. Don't have time to listen to Spaced Out Radio Live? Wherever you are, the car, the office, the shower, or even if you're traveling, we're right here for you. Each Spaced Out Radio show can be found on iTunes, TuneIn, and on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. It's the perfect way for you to catch up on our shows. For more information, just head over to our website, spacedoutradio.com, and tune in to us today. The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. And hit us up on Twitter using the hashtag Spaced Out Radio. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Welcome back to the second hour of Space Out Radio. Tonight, I am your host, Dave Scott. Good to have you with us. Tomorrow night on the program, David Weatherly will be back. 
We're going to be talking haunted toys, haunted everything, a little bit of paranormal tomorrow night. It's going to be a lot of fun. We get going at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern time at spaceoutradio.com. We want to welcome in everyone listening in on WQEE 99, Rock the Key, down in Noonan, Georgia, home of the Walking Dead. We are also live on 107.7 FM in New Orleans, the United Public Radio Network, and over 160 countries around the world. We're live on KTLK, the Fringe.fm, as well. We are also on TalkStream Live, Player FM, Stitcher, and RadioGuide.fm. If you're listening in on Revolution Radio, remember the Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Head on over to FreedomSlips.com and donate today. Bill Cardwell, still upset that his Toronto Maple Leafs got bounced from the playoffs, sets a password each and every night right here on the mighty SOR. Apogiatura. Apogiatura is your password. Make sure you use it wisely, space travelers, as Bill sets the password each and every night on the mighty SOR. By the way, Bill, my Oilers are still in the playoffs. Going to round two, baby. Going to round two. We're going to do it. Anaheim, you're next. Anyhow, moving on. If you want to follow us on social media, you can do so on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. Use the hashtag Spaced Out Radio if you want to connect with me live as well. Just like you, Chilaporka. thank you for joining on in tonight. Appreciate you joining the crew there. We're on Facebook at Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn. Download this show and others on iTunes. And our website is spacedoutradio.com, where we have a plethora of features for you including joining the SOR Space Travelers Club for 5 bucks a month. Do me a favor, read up on the encounter online. My latest blog on the paranormal is in there, so I definitely want you to check that out. And if you head over to patreon.com for a dollar a month, you can become a patron of ours. Butch Woodkowski's Strange Days happens the final Monday of every month. UFO Cop, that's U-F-O-R-C-O-P.com is Butch's website. Welcome back, bud. I'm here. Let's go. <laughs> right before right before the break, you were breaking something down regarding debunking uh, and skeptics. I want to hear you continue that. Uh, well, when skeptics seem to present their evidence that you're wrong and they're right, always take notice that they get their information, their quote-unquote scientific information, from another skeptic. It has always been that way. So instead of them saying... Uh, well, we got all this information from this university, and they did this, that, and uh, uh, this lab did this, that, and the other thing, so it proves you're totally wrong. Uh, instead, they'll say, like, well, so-and-so on his blog says you're totally wrong because, and they just play off each other back and forth. So they don't have any evidence to say you're wrong, and besides that, they don't even know what you have. So when a skeptic comes up and questions you, he has no idea what you have evidence-wise or anything else. He just knows a basic story, and uh, that's why I tell researchers a lot. When you you know you're going to publish something, whether it's on internet or, or or paper or something like that, have all your T's crossed and all your I's dotted because there'll be somebody out there looking to take it apart, and um, it just behooves you to have all your ducks in a row, and they will go away. All right, we got a plethora of questions here from our audience that have built up. So let's go with Dennis right off the bat here. Dennis is asking, is there a scientific method to prove to scientists the existence of the paranormal, in your opinion? 
uh, it would take a lot uh, paranormal-wise um, because photos can be, I mean, look, Apple has a photo uh, thing on their thing that you can load into your phone, an app that is called uh, the Ghost App. And you can take a picture of your long, dead, great-great-grandmother and put her in a family picture that you took last week. Um, it's going to take more than photographs, um, video, uh, multi-witnesses or team members uh, seeing the same thing, um, uh, physical contact that is either filmed or uh, photoed, um, <clears throat> recordings, uh, EVP or otherwise, that are clear and not all jumbled up. It's a different kind of evidence, uh, but you could do it. I mean, if you have that amount of evidence, it would be hard for somebody to say, well, that didn't happen if you have it on video and photographs and and uh, a bunch of team members witnessing the same thing or or something, uh, say a piece of equipment that you have set up in a room like a camera, infrared, and all of a sudden the camera and tripod, uh, tripod lift off the floor and then crash to the floor. I mean, if you got that on another camera, that would be great. I guess there's ways you can do that, yeah. Hmm. Follow-up question from Dennis. He says he was told that if he was hypothetically willing to fund a paranormal investigation through a university, it would be done. Does money really provide a chance for an institute to investigate a case? Not that I've ever heard of. I know people have tried grants through the government uh, to do UFO studies, paranormal studies on Bigfoot, uh, you know, paranormal studies in Bigfoot, and I don't think anybody's ever gotten a grant. Not, not to my knowledge, anyway. All right, let's move over to Twitter here at hashtag Spaced Out Radio. A pair of questions from Eric, and he is asking, Butch, what's what's then the best evidence of paranormal happenings that you have caught so far? Wow. <laughs> uh, we were called to a UFO sighting at a location in northern Lancaster County. Uh, it happens to be within 15 miles of my home. So I went down and talked to the gentleman, and it was freezing cold. It was snowing. Um, I was dumb enough to just go out wearing a pair of sneakers. Uh, but after four hours, I saw exactly what the gentleman was talking about. He was seeing these orbs coming over a mountain and crossing over a bunch of fields and going over another mountain. And we saw that twice in four hours. And then the, uh, it was a couple of days before Christmas, and he, he called one of the investigators involved and said that he sees shadow beings in the backyard. And this is being witnessed by him, his girlfriend, her kids, and, you know, a, a number of people. So um, I jump in my truck. I go down and um, talk to everybody. Everybody says the same thing. They're seeing uh, shadows uh, almost in a group. Uh, almost like surrounding them, like five or six shadows, and they were humanoid in shape, the shadow was. I went, okay, so those folks left, and I went back to the car, and I got a thermal device out, and I went back uh, to the back of the property for him to show me exactly where this all happened, and I was just looking for anything residual. And um, scanning through the uh, camera, the FLIR camera, uh, I saw a distortion on top of the building, 
on the right-hand side of a, of a building that's under construction, a farm building. And uh, I didn't say anything to him. I said, well, do you see anything? And he's looking around. He says, yeah, I do. He said, there's something up on top of that barn at the, at the corner of the barn. And I said, well, what does it look like to you? And he said, it just looks like a distortion, almost like in that movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, Predator. And I went, okay. I said, uh, keep your eye on it. And I just started looking around again, and I caught another one in front of a door, and it was on the ground but not on the ground. It looked like it was on the ground but, like, up to its caps was missing. And it had no shape or form again. It was just a distortion. And I turned, uh, looking at it through the floor, and I said, do you see anything else? And he started looking around again. He said, I think I see another one in front of the door over there. And I said, okay. And uh, we wrapped it up. I had my stuff on floor. And... Um, got a hold of uh, other researchers that were involved in this case, and I said, we need to get to this property. So um, we were scheduled to go on the 25th of last month. <coughs> Excuse me. And we had a horrendous, and I mean horrendous, windstorm come through the area. Where I live, which is 15 miles from this property, we had no damage whatsoever. We had a little wind, nothing like they were calling for down where that property is, they had destruction that was uh, pretty much beyond belief. I mean, silos were knocked down, tractor trailers would feed in them, were rolled over, uh, house roofs were gone, uh, trees were knocked down. Uh, I mean, it was just a disaster. And um, we were scheduled the next day, the 26th, so not thinking about the windstorm night before because I'm more interested in what we were going to catch down there that night. We arrived and talked to the, the client, and um, he said, um, no, nothing strange, and um, did, did our thing, and what I did was I had the one researcher walk up to the door, and I took the floor and got a, a temperature reading off the ground, which was 58 degrees, and I targeted his back, which was 68 degrees, and then I targeted one of the uh, distortions, which was at the end of the roof, but it had moved to the left a little more than it, where it was, and the temperature on that target was 25 degrees. The one that was on the ground in front of the door was no longer there. It was up on the roof uh, directly above the researcher, and I put the target on him, and he was 27 degrees, so much colder than the ground and much colder than the individual standing there. So got all that, and then... Um, uh, I, I should throw this in there. I did not know of the wind damage in that area. And the only reason I didn't know that was because this property, who had properties behind and on either side and in front of it, totally destroyed, had no damage whatsoever. And we're talking about a home here that was built in the 1860s. He didn't even lose a, a tile on the roof. And the pile of leaves that I had walked through before to get to the back was still there at the steps. He didn't even lose the pile of leaves. And then talk to him, talking to the, the guy inside, you know, the owner, I said, how did the windstorm affect you yesterday? He said, what windstorm? He didn't even know there was windstorm. But that home, that property was surrounded by damage. And then I went online and I found the pictures of the damage and I sent him to the researcher that was with me, and I said, what do you make of this? And he said, that's not good. <laughs> so right now, uh, we have 
of video and, and still pictures from FLIR on these whatever they are. Um, while the one researcher was standing in front of the door, he thought he heard chanting in his right ear. Um, and then that kind of went away. And then across the field, which we saw the very first night I was there uh, with the client, was a blue light at the base of a mountain that's across the field. So this, this property and properties all sit in a valley between two mountains. And I had driven down there in the daytime to see where this, what this blue light was. I couldn't find any blue light, and I know exactly where it was because it's in line with the house. And, you know, standing right in the driveway of the house, I'm looking right at it dead center through binoculars. And I walked all over, drove up and down the road, got out and walked up and down the road. I found no blue light. When we were there uh, that Saturday after the storm, the blue light was there. And it just it comes out of nowhere. It's just um, it's near a power line. As a matter of fact, it's at the base of a power line. It is, uh, gets very bright, and it gets very dim, and then sometimes it'll be very light blue with a tinge of red around it, and then it'll just go away. And a few minutes later, it'll pop up and go away, and then it'll come on and stay on for a while, and then it'll go away. And I have no idea what the hell that is. But, yeah, you can get inf- you can get evidence. So right now we have the evidence on FLIR in video and uh, also on in FLIR on photographs, you know, pictures. Let's move on to another question here from Eric. He is saying, Bruce, what exactly does a skeptical believer even mean? How can you be both? Well, you can be both because when you're presented with something uh, – you know, a new something new, a new a new um, a report, and you get that new report. As you're reading it in your mind, you should be skeptical about everything you're reading. In other words, you should be looking for somebody repeating themselves, or changing the date or time, or changing location, or changing the description. So when you're reading that report, you really need to be skeptical because a report. When somebody's telling you a report and it's something they actually saw. They don't jump all over the place. They pretty much give you the story like this is what started, this is what happened, this was the time, this is where I was, this is who was with me, blah, 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 and on and on and on. But when you get a report where it starts jumping all over the place, like, well, I don't remember what day it was, and I don't remember who was with me, but there were five people with me, and it was a, it was a cloudy day, which you can check in a heartbeat, uh, and we saw this, or we saw this, or we didn't see this, but this happened and this didn't happen. And what I like to do with cases like that, being skeptical, skeptical of the report, I'm not saying I don't believe them, but I'll call that individual back or I'll meet with that individual and I'll ask him those same questions all over again, right out of his report. And if he sticks by him, well, it's just he's somebody that, you know, was just upset, nervous, excited, and just didn't keep everything in flow. But if everything changes while he's talking to me from his report, I'm pretty sure I'm dealing with a hoax. But uh, that's what I mean by a skeptical believer. Even when you're shown evidence. Um, I had a lady send me a report two years ago and showed this huge circle in her yard. And she said there was a craft landed here and that, that, that. And she went on and on and on, three pages worth. And I said, okay, can you get somebody out there to clip some of those, clip off some of that grass, put it in a Ziploc bag and send it to me? Well, it took, three weeks, I believe, till I got it, 
And I took it down to the lab, and the guy said it's common. Uh, I forget what the name of the mold was. It's some kind of mold that uh, uh, grows on grass, but it grows in circles. And it may be a big circle, a little circle, or maybe a series of circles. And um, so I sent it back to her, and she said, yeah. She said, that's what our lawn guy told us. <laughs> They're out there, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Gail, oh, yeah. Wants, Gail wants to know, do ghost hunters believe everyone is a ghost after they die and then cross over with or without help? Uh, some do. Yeah, yeah, there are some people like that. They, they believe that if somebody died in this house, it's guaranteed it's haunted. Well, if that was the case, everybody's living in a haunted house because sooner or later, somebody died in that house. Uh, you know, especially when you got these homes that are built back in the 1800s, 1900s, early 1900s into the 2000s. I'm sure there's people, there's suicides, there's natural death, there's all kinds of things. But yeah, you do have researchers that when they're doing their background check on the house, and, you know, they're doing their newspaper work and their uh, uh, um, library work and stuff, and they find out that uh, at this particular location there was a fire, or five people died in the fire, this is a new house built on the old location, so they automatically in their mind transfer the people that died in that fire maybe 100 years earlier into the new house. Now, that being said, that's not saying it couldn't happen. I mean, you have a lot of strange things happen around Indian burial grounds, uh, old battlegrounds. And, you know, those things took place hundreds of years ago in some cases. So it's kind of an iffy thing, but I would say a good bit of the paranormal community do believe that if there was a, um, a death, especially a violent death, that there's some kind of issue. Now, where there's massive uh, loss of life, like the Johnstown Flood, um, one of the things that happened during Johntown Flood was, you know, houses uh, back then used uh, kerosene lamps and stuff to light the homes, and some of these homes were floating down the river, and they hit the bridge there in Johnstown, and they stayed there. They didn't go under the bridge, and there were people inside screaming for help. They were burning alive. And um, there are many recordings of uh, taken at the bridge uh, on the anniversary of the Johnstown Flood where people have recorded what sounds like to be people screaming, help me, help me, please. So, you know, we're not on that side of the, of the realm. So we just take what we got and listen to it and make our own minds up of what it could be and what it could not be. Let's get to Catherine's question. And Kit Kat is asking here, why do people hoard evidence? Isn't that just backwards? Yeah. Yeah. It is totally ass backwards. I mean, if, if I have, if, if I have evidence, uh, and I verify it first, that's that's the number one thing. It has to be verified. Um, you find a leaf uh, or or a stick or something in the woods, and it looks like there's blood on it. Well, we have a, a chemical that we can spray on it. If it shows positive for blood, uh, I'll take that to the lab and get it verified. Um, now, it could have been just some hunter stuck himself in the finger while he was opening his can of beans. Or it could be from an unknown predator or a known predator. And with the blood sample or whatever they can get off that stick, the DNA, they can tell me what it is or what it isn't. But hoarding it, that's stupid. I mean, I'm looking for evidence. That's my job. Uh, that's why I'm out there. I want, I want the evidence. There's no reason why I would hoard it. I mean, if that was it, I would, I would put that out, that in our research location, 
uh, we found this, uh, this tested like this, here's the result, and I put it, I put it on my webpage. Let's get to another question here. This one from Deb on Twitter at hashtag Space Out Radio. She is saying, these Ghostbusters doing nothing but counting on machines, whatever happened to personal abilities? Oh, they went by the wayside a long time ago. Um, if you run into a researcher that's using personal ability and um, equipment uh, that he knows how to use, and uh, he's done his research on that property or wherever it may be beforehand, before he even walks through the door, and he's already armed himself with the background and the history of that property or what has happened there, uh, I would say you're about 99.9% going to get a good report back. But if it's somebody who's just relying on a tri-field meter or a um, FLIR camera or IR camera, and they're picking up all this stuff in the house with, a, with say, the tri-field meter, the EMF detector. Uh, if you're walking around in a house that still has electricity going through it, and that house has old knob and tube wiring, you're going to pick up high EMF readings standing in the backyard. Uh, strange noises. Uh, there was a, We were involved in a case where there were strange noises hammering on the wall and um, checking everything out, EMF, with radio uh, identifier, radio frequency identifier. It just kept coming from one wall. And um, took the, uh, asked the gentleman if he had any electrical work done lately. He said, yeah, he did. As a matter of fact, all new, new, all new wiring in the house. Took the plate off that wall, the, the, uh, the four-pronged plate, and um, the hot and the neutral were crossed. And there was the clicking. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, general abilities and equipment together work good. Uh, one, without, one without the other doesn't work so good because, you know, you could have an ability to do this, that, and the other thing, but then I would probably classify you as a psychic. <laughs> I think we made it through the questions. Actually, we'll get to Dennis's here. He says, some researchers state they can keep back evidence so that they can verify real case reports. Do you think that's just a cop-out? That is exactly what it is. That's a cop-out. Look, if, if I have good evidence, and I mean solid evidence, provable evidence, no matter how I got the evidence as far as uh, through the evidence uh, that, that it's verified, that something uh, somebody actually signed off on a lab report or um, I had it verified by a museum or whatever. Um, I'm going to put that out there. Uh, doesn't do me any good to put it in a file here in my office. That's not helping anybody. That's not giving any information out to the public. That's not uh, doing anything. Now, the only evidence I will keep under wraps is a case that's ongoing because I'm getting evidence all the time. Or I may have evidence that has been sent to the lab and I haven't gotten it back yet, or photographic evidence that's being looked at. So that's the only way I'll hold it back. But when it's done, it's out there. It doesn't get me anywhere by putting it in after working on a case for six months, eight months, or like a couple that we're working on for years uh, to have it in a file cabinet and just, you know, well, I know it's in a file cabinet, so I know it's true. Okay, so I know that part. You don't know that part. And I just feel as though, since I'm never going to ever write a book, 
<laughs> I would rather get the information out now and say, like, okay, here's what we found, here's how we found it, and maybe that will help some other researcher along the way um, pick up on that technique or look for what we found. Let's get to a question at hashtag Space Out Radio from Deb, and she is asking, Butch, do you only use machines? No. No. We use RVers, we use psychics, we use uh, just plain old investigative techniques. On your feet, walking, looking, doesn't necessarily have to have a piece of equipment in your hand. You can have it on your belt, you can have it in a bag on your shoulder. Doesn't mean that I'm walking up and down trails with uh, a floor camera glued to my eye or I'm using a, uh, a drone to fly overhead of a field. Um, you need to get out, you need to get your boots dirty, and... Uh, uh, use your eyes. Your eyes are the best investigative tool you have. I said one time to a guy, I said, if you were walking through the woods and you saw a bird's nest laying on the ground, it was empty, it was just an old bird's nest, would you pick it up and save it for evidence? I won't tell you what he said I was, but he pretty much basically said I was a lunatic. And uh, I waited till a couple of his buddies were there while he was basically reading me the riot act about my technique. And I said, well, what would a bird's nest be made out of? He said, well, you know, straw, thread, hair, whatever they find, leaves, sticks. I said, that's exactly right. What are you out here looking for? I never had seen a guy turn that red-faced since high school at a wrestling match when the guy's suit split up the middle. He just walked away. Evidence is evidence. I don't care where you find it. That the hair in that in the hair that's in that nest could have been from anything, or it could have been from a Bigfoot. Uh, there could have been other things in that nest that would lead you in a direction. Maybe the 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 those type of um, twigs and stuff that went there from birch. Well, there's no birch in the area you're looking at, but. You know, on the other side of that ridge, there's a whole mound of birch. So why not look there? So your eyes are really your best. And what you see is what you see, you know, unless you're on some kind of hallucinogenic drugs. You know, uh, we carry equipment. Yeah, sure we do. But that doesn't mean that we use it every time we walk out there. Uh, usually when we go into the woods, we have a pack. Uh, each guy has a pack with his equipment in it. A um, pair of binoculars, a non-lethal weapon, um, and um, to ward off anything we don't want to mess with, which are bears, cougars, etc. And that's it. Now, if we find something, okay, we got a camera with us. We can take pictures. We got evidence collection materials. We can take evidence. We got um, stuff to take a print. Um, we've got um, stuff that we know we can we can test for blood. We can test for semen. We can test for urine. Um, so, yeah, we do carry equipment, but using it all the time, mm-mm. No, because it doesn't, you know, you can look through a floor device, and it's just like looking through a, a, a toilet paper tube. You only see so much. It's not like, you, not like you're looking at uh, down a trail and seeing the whole trail and both sides of the trail as far as your peripheral vision will go. When you're using the device like a FLIR or IR camera or IR um, anything, you know, you're looking through a tube. And that's all you see. So you could be looking right past some really great evidence that's laying right aside of you or in front of you and just walk right by it. 
Let's get to a pair of questions from Deb. She is asking at hashtag Space Out Radio on Twitter, who do you feel, Butch, has the most natural ability in the paranormal field right right now? An individual? Individual or a team? Um, there's a team in Georgia. Their name just escaped me. But they are, I think they're pretty much the only team in Georgia, and they, they're they on Facebook. They do a lot of stuff on YouTube. Um, they actually go out and they video the whole thing so that people can see what they're doing and where they're at. I would probably say they're probably up in that top two, three. And there's some uh, individuals out there, uh, the group that uh, I'm familiar with in um, Ghost Hunters, Inc., which is in uh, Pennsylvania here. Uh, another group, uh, been around since 1979. It's all family, uh, with the exception of a couple members. Uh, very good, uh, very tenacious, uh, very honest, uh, very well equipped for what they do. Um, they are the kind of people that you'd really want to associate with if you want to learn about the paranormal. Uh, they do a lot of background and preliminary checks before they even meet with the client. Um, when they are at the clients, uh, they are very empathetic. They're 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 first class. Um, they listen to every word. They take down every word, whether it's in writing or with a recorder. Um, and they get back to the client. Uh, they review the evidence with the client at the scene. And um, most groups do not do that. Most groups are hit and run. They walk in, do what they got to do. And uh, if they get back to you, fine. If they don't, that's fine with them again. So, there, yeah, there are a couple out there that are, are really worthy of uh, the words paranormal investigator. And moving on, uh, Deb is saying that I guess she had a... Uh, sorry, I'm just reading this. She... Down in Keensburg, New Jersey, she found 62 houses with paranormal activity 13 years ago. Would you consider that a lot for one area? No. Mm-mm. There's a there's a, a case study. I can't remember the name of it. It's in Oklahoma. Uh, it was a actually a mining camp back in the 18, late 1800s, early 1900s, which is closed down. The homes are still there. Now, when I say homes, they're mostly, you know, shacks. But uh, you can go into every shack and there's something happening. And there's like 200 of them. That's a lot of hauntings. That's not unusual. One of the things I found interesting, and I know in the first hour we really focused on, you know, the blog that I wrote in regards to the way the TAPS people investigate, but one of the things that I found interesting is these groups who go into these houses, okay, Mm -hmm. And just because they don't have activity, they rule it as non-haunted. Mm-hmm. I went into a very haunted museum up here with members of Chronicles of the Unknown. And the previous couple times, they were in this bar at uh, a, an old ghost town, which is now a museum. It's called Barkerville, way up north, about two and a half hour drive from where I am, north of me. And I'm already halfway up this damn province. And they stuck me in this bar during an investigation because they said it's the most active. Dave, we want you to get something. And they had had some really strange experiences in that bar the previous couple of times they were in there. And Butch, I didn't get anything. 
You know, I had a K2 meter and a digital voice recorder, got nothing. No knocks on the walls, no people getting pushed like last time when the other team investigated. It felt like we were just standing there talking to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Now, in the paranormal, I do know, and I'm not silly enough to to think that every time, just because you walk into a haunted building, you're going to have action. But there's a lot of groups out there who would say, ah, no, it's not haunted. This is nothing. You're probably just hearing floors creaking because the building is so old and the wind was blowing the wood and so on and so forth, looking for every material excuse possible. But how come a lot of them out there will render a decision even though other groups have confirmed it's haunted. Well, one of the things first right up front is I have never met a paranormal group um, that agrees with another paranormal group. You could send one group in and they come out with all kind of stuff, mostly verbal. You can send another group in and they don't find nothing. You can send another group in, and they're kind of half-hearted, like, well, we think maybe there could be. And there's no rhyme or reason to it. But uh, one of the things that was told to me by a a very long-time researcher in paranormal said, look, uh, things don't happen all the time at the same place. Uh, Maybe that entity that you may have photographed or heard or whatever in a house is now outside the home and maybe um, in the barn across the across the yard or in a shed, or um, it's in an area of the house that you don't go in. Maybe you didn't go in the basement. Maybe that's where it is. Maybe you didn't go in the attic. That's where it is. And uh, he said, when you're going to do this thing, when you do this, you want to cover everything from the ground up and everything outside around it. And he even was one of the guys that... Uh, picked up on something I said a long time back where I, I was uh, on a show, I guess, or a conference, I forget, and somebody said, uh, well, you know, uh, what about uh, uh, could extraterrestrials be involved? And I said, well, if you have that feeling or you think that's a possibility, because this was a case where there was a light moving around in the house, uh, a private home, very big property, very prominent people that own the property up in New York State, and the property, uh, when their grandparents died, they just locked the property up. It wasn't uh, lived in. And their main home was down the, their drive, which was like a half a mile long. And they would see these lights in the house. And they called these guys in. And um, uh, they went through the house a number of times. And it didn't happen. And then one time, uh, he said he just had it in his head that he wanted to try something. So he sent his team inside the house and he and another guy stayed outside watching the sky. Well, when things appeared in the sky and they were uh, mostly orbs of, of, of different colors, the lights went on in the house on different floors. And then once they passed overhead, then the lights went back out again. So his theory of could there have been, uh, a paranormal thing happen uh, either caused by or in association with an extraterrestrial thing. And um, I'm one of those that believes that I think all the paranormal at this point has some connection uh, 
I'm not saying it has a definite connection, but there seems to be a connection where some things are seen in the sky and something's happening on the ground or something's happening on the ground or in the woods and something's seen in the sky or close to it. And uh, I don't think it's a stretch to say that all this could be something or combined some way or another. Um, there's a lot of um, speculation on that. There's a lot of uh, researchers that are starting to look at that now. So when they're doing, uh, say, a Bigfoot uh, case uh, and in their research area and uh, in their background research, they find out, well, in that same area, there's been a lot of other activities, like maybe lights on another mountain or something overhead um, um, that look like a shooting star or an orb or whatever. And um, uh, same thing with uh, a, UFO, uh, a UFO guys out there, and um, he's in a, an area where he's uh, doing a star watch. And he's uh, when he's everything's quiet. He doesn't see anything. And then when he does see something, then he's hearing weird noises or screams or hollers uh, coming out of the wooded area, or uh, at a house. I mean, I can't say it's not possible. And if you're keeping an open mind, it's possible. I mean, we don't know everything. A lot of a lot of this stuff we don't know anything about. And um, the best thing to do is, to, you know, be prepared to document it. Uh, have a camera set up on a tripod outside looking up. <laughs> uh, have your people wear a GoPro when they go into a building or when they're doing a property or they're out looking for Bigfoot. And I always tell people, you've got to put a GoPro in the front. Why don't you put one in the back? You know, put one on your backpack. Have one clipped to your shirt or collar or your coat. See what's behind you while you're going forward. And there are cases in, in Michigan, uh, now those are predominantly dogman cases where um, researchers go out with a GoPro hooked on the front of their gear and they have a feeling they're being watched and one guy uh, put a GoPro on his backpack and he was being watched. Now, you can hardly make out what it is who's was watching him and it could have been anything because they have wolves, they have bears, they have all that. But there was something watching him from the back as he went up that trail. I mean, as he's walking, you can see it moving through the bushes, and then he stops, it stops. So, yeah, everything's possible. You can't throw anything out, because once you start throwing the baby out with the bathwater, you're in trouble. Absolutely. I got a couple questions from Australia for you. And this one comes from Robert. He says, with the amount of activity... 100 shacks with stuff happening like that that you were mentioning moments ago. Would it be more the land that has been affected by the spirits rather than the shacks themselves? Uh, yeah, and, and it's just like uh, with the case we have now with this, uh, with this barn and the, and the distortions. When we dug back and researched back, backwards, that area was all Indian territory in the mid-1700s. There was no white men here. It was all Indian. And uh, the two, uh, two out of the four groups of Indians that lived there, Susquehannock, Iroquois, uh, uh, Mohawk, etc., they were at war with each other all the time, all the time. So we thought, well, it could be burial mounds, but we found no burial mounds. But then when we did some more research and we went to uh, a historical uh, museum that studies the indigenous here in Pennsylvania, what we did find was that uh, one group of Indians uh, – buried their dead just like we do and the other set that was at war with them all the time burned their dead so these distortions that we're seeing could be 
uh, watchers or guardians, and the building of that new barn has disturbed the ground. And it's interesting because all the dirt they pulled up from that uh, site to put the barn down level, and it's a huge barn, it's 400 foot long, so there's a huge amount of dirt there. Uh, if I go uh, around the barn, uh, I get very little uh, EMF detection, mostly residual. There's no equipment inside. Uh, today, I think they just started pouring the concrete today. Uh, it's basically um, a pole barn building, aluminum walls, aluminum roof, uh, a couple windows, a couple doors. Uh, it's being built to take chick embryos and turn them into chicks for sale. Uh, so there's nothing odd there. Uh, there's a couple silos. I got nothing around those feed silos. But when I get near that dirt pile, I can just, as I slowly approach that dirt pile, that needle starts to really go. And if I get right up against it and put the, the meter right up against the dirt, it pins the needle on the EMF detector on a tri-field meter. So right now my thinking is that it's either something ancient or it, it's more um, indigenous in nature uh, only because uh, chanting that's heard uh, howls and whistles that are heard, um, and uh, these entities are still there. I can go down there right now and turn my floor on, and I can see them. Now they may ha they have moved, uh, like I said, from one end of the barn to the they moved to the left. One that was on the ground moved to the roof, then it moved back this way, and that one went to the right. But they're there; they're not going away, and it's nothing. Um, Climate-wise, I mean, there's no heat in there. They're putting off heat in the cold weather, or it's, it's nothing. I mean, we've had snow, we've had cold, we've had hot, we've had everything, and it's not changing. So we either have a burial, a burial site that was disturbed, which we would tend to believe would be either one of those two groups. It was either a burial pit where they were burned, the warriors were burned after the battle, or a burial pit where they, the graves were actually dug and the bodies were put underground. And that's where we're at research-wise with that. But, yeah, I agree. Could be anything. We, it, no, so many things have been built. I mean, look how many, especially in England, um, where they're, just it seems like almost every week um, they're digging up a parking lot or they're enlarging a church, and they're coming across graveyards that they didn't even know existed. And uh, they're finding uh, people of, of, of proper manner, uh, you know, uh, uh, people that were with the king and queen and, you know, all these people, and they're finding all these artifacts, and they didn't even know they were there. So is it possible that, um, you know, what I have down there at the barn is uh, something from the past or ancient, even before that? But yeah, it's very possible. Follow-up question from... Robert's wife in Australia, Amber, and she is asking, Butch, have you ever come across something that isn't a sentient being, but an imprinted memory or echo of an event? Um, no. Mm-mm. That would be kind of interesting, though. Yeah, it would. <laughs> but unfortunately, no. Would you consider something like Gettysburg to be like that, or maybe Pearl Harbor? Oh, absolutely. 
any place where there's a large loss of life, I don't mean life like uh, uh, like a plague, has to be violent. It seems like the more violent, the more activity, like Gettysburg and all the battlefields that go down through the south, and um, uh, like the Johnstown flood, and and in uh, uh, right uh, not far from me in Pennsylvania, there was a large fire in a, 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 a building that housed uh, back in the 30, 20s and 30s. Uh, a clothing manufacturing building. It was like four or five stories tall, filled with very young girls uh, after school, learning to make, you know, use machinery to sew dresses and all this stuff together. And the place caught fire, and the doors were actually bolted from the outside, so they had no way out. And many perished. Many. They, they, as a matter of fact, I know there were no survivors, and all these young girls just burned to death. There was just no way they could get to them or get them out. And um, that place, I mean, even when you walk past that place, you get like a weird feeling. I took my son down to Gettysburg when he was 12 years old. And um, he wanted to see where Pickett's Charge was. So uh, I was a police officer at the time. <clears throat> we were down, my wife and I and my son. And uh, we got to Pickett's Charge, and we were standing there along the uh, guns of the Northern Army, looking out over the field. And I had just such this weird feeling that something just was not right to the point where I actually reached back and had my hand on my gun. And I looked at my son, and he just looked at me, and he said, Dad, we need to get out of here now, right now. And I said, I agree. And we walked away and got back in the car, and it took about 10 minutes for that feeling to go away. But for me to reach for my gun <laughs> while I'm not looking at a field, right, it was just this overwhelming sense of dread uh, of, of something bad is going to happen or um, I shouldn't be there or I, I don't know. I, I don't know what it was, but I, I reached back and had my hand on my gun and and I'd never done that before, ever, <laughs> even when I was on duty. So it was uh, um, it was an experience and I haven't been back to Gettysburg since. Mm. Would you go back? Is that something that you would like to tackle again? Yeah, I'd try it again, yeah, sure. But right now, we're up to our eyeballs in cases. I mean, you name it, we got it. Paranormal, UFOs, uh, crypto stuff. I mean, it's just nuts. It's just crazy. Butch, we talked a lot in the first hour about a lot of the don'ts in the field. If you were to talk to someone who, say, was having paranormal activity, ufological activity, cryptid activity. What advice would you get them in researching a group on how to find what's best for them? Well, you, first of all, you really have to know the group. I mean, you really have to know the type of people you're dealing with. I mean, if you've got um, people that have a, a, a knowledge, and I don't mean a, a background knowledge as an investigator or anything like that, or their ex-FBI or CIA or whatever the other alphabet groups are. But they have a yearning uh, and a knowledge that only came from studying what they're trying to go after. Like if I was talking to a Bigfoot hunter, you know, you know, what's your experience in the woods? Well, I've never been in the woods. That's not a good move because uh, there's all kinds of things that could happen. But you're talking to somebody that's an experienced hunter or a hiker uh, that it goes in the woods a lot, and they're very uh, keen uh, as to what they hear, what they see. Um, that's the person that I would say would be uh, 
a good guy out in the field or a good lady out in the field. And there are, I want to put this out too, there are a lot more women, which I'm so happy to see, getting involved in ufology and the paranormal and the um, uh, crypto fields, um, which has been dominated by men for many years. And most of those guys couldn't find their butt with both hands. Uh, women seem to have, uh, I'm going to say six cents for lack of a better word, uh, on things that are around them than men do. Because guys walking down the field are usually shooting the crap about football or baseball or hockey or whatever. Uh, they're not paying attention where when you see some of these uh, groups that are made up of all women, uh, they get a research area, they, they set up their camp, uh, they try all kind of things from offerings to uh, video to sound devices. I mean, they're really on the ball. And um, it's really been only in the last maybe three years that that's happened. Uh, before that, you could go to any conference and the place will be, yeah, there may be a few ladies there, but most of it's all men. And most of them are that old that they couldn't walk in the woods if their life depended on it. And now you're seeing, uh, and when you look at the backgrounds of some of these ladies, they got PhDs, you know, they're teachers, they're scholars, they're doctors, uh, you know, they're lawyers. I mean, they're, they, they, they know what they're talking about and they're very fluent in what they're doing. And that to me is just really cool. I really like that. I have uh, ladies involved in our groups and uh, they, they are the best. I mean, I wouldn't trade them for the world. So for people who say have paranormal activity, and I want to focus on that one for a little bit here, Bruce, or Butch, pardon me, and we only got about uh, uh, three and a half minutes left before we got to go to break here. Paranormal activity is the one that actually gets to me a little bit because that's when you're inviting someone into your private space, either your home, either a family member's home or property or a place of work and business where you are involved in it gets personal that way and when you're inviting people into your personal space you do have to be aware just because they're ghost hunters doesn't mean there aren't crooks in this field so what advice would you give butch to someone who is you know in need of a ghost hunting crew to come into their house what are the do's and don'ts they would look for well, first do the first don't is when they want to charge you, uh, or if they come in a group. Most groups, three or four people at the most that I've ever saw or worked with. When somebody shows up with twelve people, you know there's no way you can watch twelve people. Um, or if they say, "Okay, we need you to stay in this room while we do this," uh, that'll be the day. You know, uh, next thing you know, when they're gone, you're finding out everything in the world is missing. Uh, the, what I always tell people is when you when you are looking for a group, I don't care what kind of group it is, find a researcher that you have maybe met or listened to or talked with personally, um, saw at a conference and got to speak with them, or you just like their way they're doing things, or... Um, uh, they just strike you as somebody that is the kind of person you, you would like to uh, help you. Uh, and you'll know that. Um, ask them. Uh, I mean, if somebody asked me about uh, something paranormal and they needed a group in their area, 
I would research through my files and my friends and my researchers and investigators who would be best to help them. And uh, I would get somebody that would be top-notch. But when people pick stuff off the Internet or uh, the newspaper ads or the ads on blogcasts and stuff like that, that's not a good move. You need to get somebody that you know and trust to personally recommend or, if not, actually do it for you, uh, help you out, you know, show up and do it. Uh, but, you know, w- almost all of us out here have certain groups that we know do the job, they're honest, they're forthright, they'll do everything they can for you, they'll, they'll whatever you need them to do, they'll get done. And um, whether it's... Um, having you meet them at, at their research area and show them how to set up camp and ca- where to set up cameras and stuff like that. I mean, there are people that will do that. Uh, but when they start asking for money or they show up in large groups, no, don't even let them in the front door. You can't watch everybody at the same time. And on that note, Butch, I'm going to get you to hold on. We are going to take a break here at the top of the hour, Butch Witkowski, Strange Days happens the final Monday of every month right here on Space Out Radio. Butch's next date with us will be Monday, May 29th. It's going to be a good one that time, too, because we'll be hopefully talking about some ghosts around my birthday around there. But we'll get into it. One hour left, more ghosts, more hauntings, more UFOs, aliens, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Dogman. And more coming up with Butch Wachowski. I'm your host, Dave Scott. We'll be back right after this. The SOR Sightlines is a place for you to find answers to your strange experiences. Hi there, this is Mike Schmidt. If you have had an encounter with ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, ETs, or anything else that doesn't make sense, head to spacedoutradio.com and file a Sightlines report. All information you give is 100% confidential, and I will personally help you find the answers you need. SOR Sightlines, your answers are a click away. Have you got your Cosmic Passport? If you need one, tune in to Cosmic Passport on Spaced Out Weekend. This is Elizabeth Anglin, ET experiencer, spirit medium, and host of Cosmic Passport. Each weekend, I'll be bringing you interviews and support from other paranormal experiencers and the best in intuitive spiritual guidance from across the globe. It's all happening starting at 9 p.m. Pacific Time, midnight Eastern, on spacedoutradio.com. Hi there. I'm Butch Witkowski, lead investigator with the Cop. On the final Monday of every month, you can listen to me and host Dave Scott on Spaced Out Radio's Strange Days. We're going to get to the heart of the matter when it comes to what's happening out there. People are seeing and experiencing things from ET contact to Bigfoot, and I want to hear about it. Your experiences are what we investigators need to help solve these unknown mysteries. So tune in at spacedoutradio.com to the final Monday of every month from Butch Wachowski's Strange Days. Visit purpleplates.com today. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit and 
Expect a miracle. This is your medium, Joanna, from Spaced Out Weekend, Two Mediums and a Large. I would love it if you would come and join us with host James Tyson every other Sunday on Spaced Out Weekend. Together, we will take your calls and your questions live. Our goal is to provide you with a positive outlook on deep questions that you may have. Questions regarding love, relationships, money, or whatever else is on your mind. Come and check us out at spacedoutradio.com. This is Eric Markham, news editor for the Spaced Out Radio's The Encounter Online. We have put together a great team of writers and journalists from all over the world to bring you top quality paranormal stories from alien encounters to the latest conspiracies. You won't find any of that fake news here. True stories and top-notch reporting as we look to bring these experiences to the mainstream. The Encounter online only at spacedoutradio.com. Patrolling the Pacific Northwest, we are always on the lookout for the strange and unassuming stories that real people are experiencing. Hi, I'm Vincent Zunza from Pacific North Weird. Me and Alexandra Sullivan have teamed to bring to you those odd stories that never seem to make it into the mainstream. Stories so weird that we'll leave you scratching your head wondering, is this real? It's as real as it gets with Pacific North Weird. You can watch our videos right here at spacedoutradio.com. Become more intimate and interactive with Spaced Out Radio. Join our Space Travelers Club with your new membership. For $5 a month, we'll provide you with special access to the website, monthly prize draws from books to psychic readings, along with monthly newsletter, private interviews, and more. Sign up today to be part of Spaced Out Radio's experience. Looking for a place to advertise at a very reasonable cost? Look no further than Spaced Out Radio. SpacedOutRadio.com has an advertising tab that you can click to check out our daily, weekly, and monthly packages to play on the radio, or our website including social media. From commercial spots to banners, we have it all. Check out our competitive pricing today. Don't have time to listen to Spaced Out Radio Live? Wherever you are, the car, the office, the shower, or even if you're traveling, we're right here for you. Each Spaced Out Radio show can be found on iTunes, TuneIn, and on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. It's the perfect way for you to catch up on our shows. For more information, just head over to our website, spacedoutradio.com, and tune in to us today. You hear footsteps in the empty room above you. A rocking chair begins rocking by itself. Don't be afraid of the things that go bump in the night. Reach for Spirit Story Box, the iPhone app the Huffington Post UK called the only ghost hunting app you will ever need. Spirit Story Box, the spirits are telling their stories. Are you listening? Strange creatures lurking in the night, the sounds of wood knocking in the forest, odd happenings right out of a fictional world. These are the reports I love. Hi there, this is author Ronald Murphy, and I would love it if you'd join me and Spaced Out Radio host Dave Scott the second Wednesday of every month on our journey into the unknown land of cryptozoology at spacedoutradio.com. From Mothman to Frogman and everything in between, hey, they don't call me the crypto guru for nothing. Did you know that Spaced Out Radio runs seven days a week? Hi, it's James Tyson from Spaced Out Weekend. Every Saturday and Sunday night, starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, 
midnight Eastern, you can join me and my guests for some great chatter about what's going on out in the universe or even in that dark part of the basement you really don't want to go back into. Well, let's find the answers to your experiences together. So come on up to Uncle Jimbo's cabin on the weekend. For more information, look us up at spacedoutradio.com. The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and hashtag Spaced Out Radio. And on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the final hour of Spaced Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott. Good to have you along with us. Absolutely loving this show with Butch Witkowski tonight. Tomorrow night on the program, David Weatherly is going to join us. We're talking haunted toys. We're getting into all sorts of haunted objects as we stick with the paranormal. Just been filled in. And if you tune on in to S4, right after this program, Eric Cooper has a special edition recorded. He's going to play that right after this show. If you want to tune it in, just click on S4 on spacedoutradio.com. It'll take you right there after this show 9 p.m pacific midnight eastern time is when we get going every single night at spaceoutradio.com want to welcome in everyone listening in on the united public radio network live on 107.7 fm in new orleans and over 160 countries around the world good to have you with us we're also live on wqee 99 rock the key down in noon in georgia we're live in las vegas on renegade talk radio our brand new affiliate ktlk the fringe fm we're glad to be your nighttime entertainment and if you're listening in on revolution radio remember the double r machine is a donation station financed by you the valued listener head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today bill cardwell has set the password for tonight in the sor space travelers club apoggiatura apoggiatura is your password make sure you use it wisely space travelers as bill sets a password each and every night right here on the mighty sor we want to welcome in everyone listening in on Twitter, at Space Out Radio. Use the hashtag Space Out Radio if you want to connect with me live during the show. Give our Facebook page a like, Space Out Radio Show. You can tune us in on TuneIn, download this show and others on iTunes. We're also on TalkStream Live, RadioGuide.fm, Player FM, Stitcher as well. And our website is SpacedOutRadio.com, where we have a plethora of features for you, including joining the SOR Space Travelers Club for 5 bucks a month. You can read up on my latest blog. It's posted at the Encounter Online on our website. We've got some great news and stories in there as well. And, of course, you can go over to Patreon.com and for as low as a dollar a month become a patron of SOR. Butch Witkowski's Strange Days happens the final Monday of every month. Butch's next appearance will be on Monday, May 29th. His website, UF4Cop.com. Butch, welcome back. Thank you, sir. Hey, in hour number one, you mentioned that you're seeing a real increase the past few months, especially here in 2017 compared to 2016, in UFO sightings. Yes. 
when it comes uh, when it comes to UFO sightings, what are people seeing? A uh, lot of triangles, a lot of orbs, a lot of tubes. Is a black triangle kind of fading away? No pun intended. No, no, not at all. No. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, um, I got one the other day, a photo uh, taken with a very, very good camera, by the way, uh, that is uh, very high in the sky, and it is a perfectly black triangle with one exception. It has a protrusion sticking out the front. Um, when I blow it up, it almost looks like, uh, like the end of a harpoon, you know, um, spear-like pointed, um, kind of a fishtail at the top. I've never seen one like that before. Early in the days of UFOlogy, we all saw the flying saucer, the disc shaped, looked like a hubcap. A lot of people were easy to hoaxing that. Then it kind of moved on to rods and then black triangles and then all sorts of weird types of ships out there. Do you think that we are seeing different UFOs from different races? I I, I know I'm reaching here. I really do. Or do you think that people's imaginations are just seeing what they want to see? I think it's a little bit of both. Um... The orbs have been around a long time. They've been probably the most sighted. Um, triangles also go back a long time. Uh, not so much the way they look now as the way they look maybe 30 years ago, 40 years ago, where they were more, um, they were shorter, they had rounded uh, fronts and wing, uh, or, uh, angles. Um, they always had lights, usually in the bottom one or three. Um, or they had lights at the tips uh, of the bottom of the triangles. Um, today, they're mostly um, very sharp angled, um, no lights. And um, could they be uh, military? Absolutely. Uh, military has been messing around with those things for years, uh, drones. Um, and uh, they are very large. Um and they are probably fly, always seen flying at the same height that you might see a commercial airliner. Um, not so much like they were seen years ago where they were like low to the ground, 1,500, 2,500 feet, uh, and very good photographs taken. Uh, the one in Belgium, which is probably the best one ever taken, um, uh, we don't see them like that anymore. So I would say that the majority of those are probably military craft of some sort or experimental craft. And um, the tubes are now more uh, cigar-shaped uh, with lighting. Um, some have been seen almost, uh, you know, at mountaintop level or almost ground level where people are saying that they see not only lights, but they describing what one would think would be a window or a porthole or something like that along the side. Not many, just one or two or three. And then, uh, of course, the orbs, uh, they still are uh, probably the most seen. Um, now, 
a lot of those are misidentification of bolides or um, meteors or space junk entering back into the atmosphere. Um, but the ones that are interesting are in orb-wise are the ones that um, look very large, but they're very high in the sky, which would mean they'd be enormous in size and will stop in flight, will make no type of a pattern, zigzag or anything like that. Uh, and then from that one, there may exit four or five or six more. Not the same size, much smaller, but maybe a different color. Or uh, they'll change color in flight. Or they'll drop to the earth. Or they'll go straight up. I mean, those are the ones to me that are very interesting. Everett has a question in the Space Out Radio chat room on our website. Just hook on up there by clicking live. And he is asking, do people ever see cigar-shaped UFOs anymore? The reports of those seem to have disappeared. They are very few and far between. Uh, the ones the ones that he's describing, you know, the, the typical cigar-shaped uh, UFOs, which really could be a disc, you know, depending on the uh, angle of flight, um, are mostly seen in the West. Uh, not even so much the Midwest anymore, but the West, like... You know, uh, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, uh, Colorado, out that area. Um, I haven't seen anything, uh, those types of reports in the east, uh, east of the Mississippi or in the, in the far west. They're, they're mostly in the, you know, in the Great Plains and the um, uh, southwest. But they are still seen. How much of these UFO sightings do you believe are actual human aircraft, test aircraft, or maybe secret aircraft, comparatively to actual spaceships? Oh, I'd say probably a good deal of them are, because, um, you know, black projects at one time were pretty much zeroed in on one or two areas, either in Florida or, you know, somewhere in the middle of no man's land in Nevada. Um, now, uh, with the onset of drones, I mean, they could be at your local airport and the guy that's flying it's down in Florida or, um, you know, it could be at a national guard base, uh, in your own hometown in a hangar that you never see. And they only fly it at night. One of my investigators is a police officer was coming home from work one night and he called me on the phone. He says, you ain't going to believe this. He said, but I'm following a triangle. And I said, really? He says, yep. He said, there it is. He said, I'm looking right at it. He said, it's not very high in the sky, and there's two helicopters behind it. So he said, I'm going to assume that this is a drone. And he said, it's headed westbound. He said, and I'm following it. And then it got to the point where it just went over the mountain, and he lost it. But uh, he heard no sounds. There were no lights. Uh, it was being followed by two um, uh, military helicopters. Uh, it came out of an area where there is a military helicopter base, and uh, he said it made no sound. It wasn't going very fast. He said maybe 50, 60 mile an hour tops. So that was probably a drone. But um, the odd ones seem to be way high, way higher than a drone would normally go. You know, a drone's kind of like a small aircraft, like a uh, Piper Cub or a Cherokee, a Piper Cherokee or a... Um, Cessna 172 or 210. I mean, you know, they have an altitude, but they can't go that high. 
And that's kind of when you see those at that level and um, or there's other aircraft following it, um, you're pretty much looking at a drone. But those ones that are really high in the sky and that are very defined in their shape, um, those are the ones that I question. Um, again, where they come from, what they are, I don't know. I don't know who's flying them or if anybody's flying them. Uh, I guess that's why they're called unidentified flying objects. But uh, there are a lot of, um, I would say right now, triangles are probably the most seen outside of orbs. Those two, they, they are tops. And the hot spots now are uh, California, um, you know, out in the West Coast, um, down in the lower Southwest, um, and up in Missouri, which is, Missouri's always been a hot spot for UFOs. Um, uh, Pennsylvania, yeah, they're seen, but some can be explained. Um, so I would say the one seen in Pennsylvania, there's probably a 10% um, a chance that they are true, unidentified. The other ones are pretty obviously um, aircraft of some sort or test aircraft or drones. And now you got these companies now that build these commercial drones that are very large. I mean, I was watching one the other day on, on, uh, on the Internet where a guy has actually built one that he can sit in and he can pilot, and it's a drone. Um, so, you know, uh, just a few years ago when these things started coming out, guys started putting lights all the way around them and then flying them over neighborhoods, and people were reporting these UFOs like crazy. Uh, their downfall was that they do give off a noise. I mean, it's like a, a flying lawnmower. Uh, so to compensate for that, they would put them way high in the sky and just zip them across, uh, you know, a populated area. And, of course, then all the UFO reports started to roll in. But, um, you know, police pretty much shut that down when they caught the guys. Or if the thing fell into somebody's yard, they destroyed it or shot it out of the sky. And that's happened, too. Um, it's, uh, it's just strange that everything's picked up like there are more UFO reports this year. There are more uh, crypto reports this year. Uh, not so much uh, on the East Coast. Um, uh, uh, we only had one um, um, crypto report uh, this year. When I, well, it was actually last year. It was the end of December during hunting season. And um, UFO reports are up. Uh, abduction reports are up. Um, and uh, the UFO sightings are definitely up. Um, paranormal cases, I don't think anybody even keeps a database on that stuff because there are just so many groups. Like here in Pennsylvania, we have 239 groups, paranormal hunters. So, and then that's not accounting the other 200-some-plus paranormal hunters from outside of our state that come into our state to go to places like Gettysburg and, and uh, Eastern Penn and all that stuff. So... Um, pretty simple to figure out why they haven't kept any database on UFO sightings, I mean on uh, paranormal sightings. But it has picked up. It's picked up significantly. And um, and the cases which, and I can think back just a couple years where they were, you know, kind of simplified. You could kind of figure it out relatively quickly. Uh, now are not so much. I mean, um uh, those two cases I talked about earlier uh, and the one where I sent you the photograph, 
we've been at that since December. And, you know, we're heading into May, and we're still on it. So these are going to be long-time um, constant investigations where we'll be on scene or collecting evidence as we go along and see if anything changes. Um, if those uh, distortions that I see on the roof move to the ground or they move to another area of the property, um, again, that's something different. And we are uh, and have been researching uh, that area as far back as we can uh, with the indigenous with some help. Um, and uh, I guess it would be an easy thing to just stop right now and say, okay, it's an old burial ground. They got dug into it. But burial grounds, you usually don't see distortions of anything. You'll find a burial ground, uh, or you know it's a marked burial ground, and you don't find anything. But these distortions are kind of, they're very odd in the fact that they're still there. I mean, since December, they're still there. And that windstorm not damaging that property as though the property was protected, that's very strange. Now, I know a tornado can go through a town and knock down every house but one. But this wasn't that type of windstorm. This was widespread. I mean, it went for miles in either direction, front, back, and sides of this property. And that it still just drives me nuts when I think of that uh, pile of leaves that I walk through and I continue to walk through till this day, that's still there. It never blew a leaf away. I mean, that pile is still there just like it was the first time I walked through it. And uh, the house sustaining no damage. Um, and the property originally, uh, we were called there for a UFO report, and that has continued. So I, I don't know what to make of it. If it's terrestrial, extraterrestrial, paranormal, uh, ancient, um, indigenous, I mean, it's just up in the air at this point. All I can do is document what I find um, and, you know, try to put something together after that. But right now it's just at that evidence collection stage, which is always the boring part because you kind of know what you're going to see or what you're going to find. Um other than finding, um, you know, a skull or some Indian relic or something like that, which I wouldn't touch anyway, uh, it's uh, it's bizarre. And the home with the, uh, like where I showed you that photograph, it's that place is even worse. I mean, so you have, and they're within miles of each other. I mean, it's not like one's at one end of the state and one's over there. I mean... The one is, like I said, 15 miles from my home, and the other one's only about seven miles from my home. And they both started out as UFO reports. Eric wants to know if you've ever had any reports of some sort of teardrop style of UFO. Uh, I don't. I haven't personally had any. Uh, I have seen reports of teardrop shaped. Um. Sometimes the teardrop is going down like a teardrop would, and sometimes they're seen with the with the, the bigger end up, you know, almost like a um, a balloon. And um, I think the last one that I read about was in Colorado uh, that was seen in photograph. But the photograph is so bad. I mean, you can make it out. It's very very shiny, very silvery. Um, almost like chrome plated 
and you can see that there's no epinage, no wings, nothing like that, no motors, um, and it's hovering, and then it um, starts moving slowly at first, and it picks up speed, and then it just shoots straight up into the sky, and that's it. And that's the last one I saw, and that, that, that report was probably maybe eight, ten months ago. So they're around. I mean, it's uh, unidentified flying objects come in all shapes and sizes. I mean, uh, years ago, a guy documented every shape that he could find, and he had like 75 shapes of different uh, objects that were seen. I've never heard of those. I've never mm-hmm. heard of those ones. Yeah, these, you know these balloons that take people for rides in? Yeah. That's what they look like, only there's no basket underneath, and the, the, the teardrop comes to a point at the bottom. And they're usually seen in the other position, but this one was seen actually with the, the, the round part facing upwards. They're usually seen the other way. I, I they call, aren't seen. Go ahead. There aren't those seen. They're, they're very rare. Catherine has a question for you. She is asking, how do people know it's not an optical illusion of light? Say water from the clouds that could make an effect that looks UFO-ish. So her question is, how much of these sightings are actually just natural phenomenons? I would say 95%, and that includes... Uh, I'm going to go 96%, and that includes hoaxes. That they are actually known, misidentified, misinterpreted, uh, misread, however you want to put it. And it's that 3 or 4% that... You can't debunk what it is. It is what it is. Um, uh, I always say if you see something cross from horizon to horizon, zigzagging across the sky, a bright a bright white light, pin-like, or, or uh, another shape, but it's zigzagging or it stops or it dips or it comes back up or, or its maneuvers are just something way out of the ordinary that you'd never see, and it does that in a matter of a couple seconds, we don't have anything like that. Nobody has anything like that. These things have been clocked at 60,000, 70,000 miles an hour on radar. Could you imagine a pilot stopping something at 60 or 70,000 mile, mile an hour? He'd be a bowl of jelly. Yeah, it would be quite mushy. Uh, it would be messy, yeah. You'd just have to hose him out of the craft. Where do you think they're coming from, Butch? What's your oh, opinion? Oh, God, I, I, I have no idea, Dave. I, I wouldn't even risk an opinion because I don't know. Uh, uh, you know, that throws open a whole thing, uh, another planet, another galaxy, uh, uh, another dimension. I mean, you could, you could come up with anything, but, again, there's really no proof. I mean, uh, astronauts have said they've seen them um, at, at, from the space station, from the ISS, they've seen them on, seen them on uh, other flights that they've taken. So where do they come from, and who are they, or what are they, uh, is the big mystery. I mean, nobody's ever come up with an answer. Um, you know, Project Blue Book, which pretty much debunked everything except about 1,500 in some cases, which they had no idea. And they tell you that. They say, look, we don't even know what this is this is just odd it's not anything we're aware of so you got 1500 cases out of thousands 
that even the government says, we don't know, we have no idea. And then you have great uh, photographs like, you know, the, the 50s photograph of the orbs above uh, the White House. Uh, that's never been debunked either. And it wasn't that they were there for one day. They actually come back the next day and do it again. Brand new listener in our chat room, although he's been listening behind the scenes for a while, Roger is asking, have you ever noticed if there's a correlation between the shapes of the UFOs and the type of sighting or incident? Example, let's say you see a case that has a cigar-shaped sighting involved. Could the shapes of the craft indicate different species and by extension maybe different missions? Hmm. Personally, no, I haven't. Um, I was trying to think of anybody that has. Mm, mm, don't have an answer for that one. Mm-mm. No, I don't. That's what I love about you. If you don't have an answer, you're blunt enough to say it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't think there is a correlation. Although, I, I, although, are, are let, let me rephrase this. Are there, in your idea, Butch, or in your investigations, maybe UFOs that are, say, seen in Pennsylvania, but not seen in Washington State or up here in Canada? Uh, that I would have to say probably not, because reports of all shapes and sizes have come from all over the world. I mean... Saucers that are seen in France or seen in North Africa, tubes that are seen in Pennsylvania, the same description is, you know, seen in Panama. I mean, they're seen all over the world, and they're, and they, you know, they're pretty much the same object. Uh, they may have a different type of flight pattern. There may be more than one. There may be three. They may be flying in a formation. But, no, they're all, they've all been seen all over the world, even, even Russia, um, with the files that they've cut loose in France. I mean, they're seeing the same thing over there. We are here. Everett has a question for you. He is asking, Bud, should you ever investigate the O'Hare Airport UFO incident about 10 years ago? And do you have an opinion about the case? Uh, that was a MUFON case investigated by their director of the state of Illinois, which is Sam Moranto. Uh, he did a heck of a job, and uh, what happened happened. I mean, there were just too many witnesses to say it didn't happen. Um, people on the ground saw it. Pilots that were taxiing in and out and actually taking off saw the same thing. So um, going on that information, and I don't have any special other information about it, I would say that, yeah, that was uh, that was the real deal. We were talking the other night on this show, and it was just uh, on Friday night with a gentleman named David Spinks who was in the Air Force at davis Monthan Air Force Base in Tucson, Arizona, when, well, they all, when, they, when they all got scrambled for the Phoenix Lights back on March thirteenth, 1997. And one of the things that we were talking about, and O'Hare kind of plays into this so well as well, you know, everybody continues to focus on Roswell, what's hiding at Area 51, what's at Wright-Patterson, you know, Dulcie in New Mexico, Dugway in Utah, they're all popular. Yet, 
for some reason, the incident at O'Hare or the incident over Phoenix with the Phoenix Lights, you know, even though it's 20 years ago, seems to be very, very forgotten. Why do you think that we've kind of put those sightings on the wayside, yet historically we are continuing to look at the same places all the time? Well, it's the mystery of those places. Um, you know, some people, you know, it's look, it's human nature. Are are there aliens? Yeah, where are they? Oh, they have them at uh, Wright-Patterson. Uh, are there are these laboratories where they're making ha- hybrids? Oh, yeah, they're in Dulce, New Mexico. I mean, it's it's it makes the whole question very easy to answer. Um, where are they? What are they doing? Do we have any of them? What are we doing with them? Are we back engineering these things? And then you throw out all these mystical places around the country, um, military bases, underground bases, etc. And you know, it it either keeps the conversation going or it ends the conversation right there with somebody going like, "Oh well, yeah, I kind of figured that," and that's the end of it. But although there are a number, quite a number of underground bases, and there are quite a number of bases where research is done, uh, those are not the ones that we're familiar with. I mean, they're not the right Patterson everybody talks about. They're not the Area 51 everybody talks about. Those those places are unknown. And they've been unknown for a long time. And whether underground or above ground, uh, there's no way of proving it because you can't get on those bases. And the people who work on those bases, they're not going to say anything. Uh, you know, a guy that has 20 years in the military and is familiar with all that information, he's not going to open his mouth and lose his pension. It's just not going to happen. And um, uh, do I believe we and other countries have such articles? I'm not saying the pilots or the occupants, but items that came from someplace we don't know, yeah, very possible. Uh, We'll never know it. We'll never see them. Uh, Disclosure is a joke. That's not going to happen. There's no way that any government's going to disclose what they got, where they got it, and where it's at. It's just not going to happen. So in the end, do you think when it comes to bases like Area 51, Dulce, Dugway, Wright-Patterson, do you think they are all staging places now because that's the popularity of ufologists, or do you think they're someplace else, maybe hidden up in Alaska or the Canadian tundra or maybe in a hidden base somewhere around the world that the United States has that were oh, I- actually you know, producing this type of technology. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, your friends in Australia will tell you about the joint base down there with the U.S. and the military in Australia. That And England, I guess, are all involved in that. I mean, there's a couple countries involved in that. You can't even get near that base in Australia. And, uh, you know, uh, think about the Arctic. Um you know, they have these research centers up in the Arctic where people go up there and they spend the whole Arctic winter, you know, and summers in these pods, and they do very well. I mean, they're not falling over frozen or anything like that. So could they have those type of things in the side of a mountain or in a glacier or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think there's anything that can't be done or can't be constructed to hide something. And, you know, it's like one guy said at a conference not long ago, he said, well, 
you know, they could be doing maybe maybe the engine of a, of a craft, uh, investigating that at a certain area, and parts of that maybe at five or six different locations. I mean, to anybody that would walk in on it, it just looks like a part laying there, but it could be part of a craft or, uh, you know, sheets of, of metal or some kind of, uh, of covering that somebody might be working on. They have no idea what they're working on it. Uh, you know, just something that was turned up or something that was found or, uh, you know, the stories abound. Uh, the government's very good at hiding stuff. I mean, Wow. Uh, I wouldn't even begin to know even where to look. Uh, and you wouldn't get anywhere anyway. You'd probably just get your ass arrested. That'd be it. So how much do you think we're hiding? And I realize what? that is a a loaded question. I really do. But do you think, think that it... we're hiding more than what we're actually seeing in the skies as UFOs? I think so. There's no other way. I mean, look, if if Roswell happened, if they did get a craft, um, and they got it out of there, which would probably be pretty easy in that part of the country because back in those days there wasn't anything in those parts of the country other than ranches and a few cattle running around, a few small towns. Um, to take it, dismantle it, spread it around, uh, move it by truck, helicopter, plane, however, uh, be pretty simple. I mean, we had planes that could handle that kind of stuff back then. We had helicopters that could handle stuff back then. All they had to do was dismantle it, um, pick up the pieces or the, the occupants and uh, take them. And nobody be the wiser. And, you know, throw out their stories and all that other stuff with the weather balloons and the t- test dummies. And after a while, people hear that so much that they just take it for granted that's exactly what happened, that it was weather balloons and it was test dummies. You know, I often say i got 12 books here on my right in front of me on my shelf on Roswell. So which one of those am I supposed to believe? And I understand that. I realize there is competition in absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course, in the field of ufology, everybody wants to try and one up everyone else. I, I think that's just par for the course, to be honest. But mm-hmm. at some point, some point, Butch, the secret has to come out. These secrets just can't stay forever. Or do you think we're that naive to not allow or even believe at this time the secrets that we truly have? Every person that came out with a secret or information on extraterrestrials or crafts or whatever, they just got swallowed up. They either disappeared or they um, had a, you know, kind of a severe accident or disease that came upon them overnight or uh, they were just ridiculed to the point where everybody that was reading what they said now believe that they were totally nuts. And then, of course, over the years, and um, one famous researcher who interviewed a guy who said he was with the CIA and DOD, and he gave this long story uh, to this um, researcher, and it was published and all this stuff, and then a couple months after that, they find out the guy lied on his deathbed. He was never in the CIA. He was never in the military. He was never with the DOD or anybody else. So, 
Uh, now, whether he was telling the truth or not, most likely not, uh, because he wanted money up front, um, you know, that went to the grave, as most of these whistleblowers do. They go to the grave. Um, when you look and see how many UFO researchers that were getting close to whatever they were getting close to met with accidents, diseases, um, suicides, etc. over all these years, I mean, it, it's a ton of them. I mean, there's even a website um, that people can look up. It says, who's killing, our, who's killing our UFO researchers? And it lists the names and how they died. And it's amazing. I mean... Um, <laughs> researchers locked themselves in, in refrigerated rooms and froze to death or uh, walked outside and tripped and fell and uh, were found in the parking lot the next day with their heads stoved in against a curb. Uh, researchers that were hospitalized that for no reason whatsoever, I mean, they were in for some stupid thing and next thing you know, they, were, they jumped out of a window. Uh, or they were moved from the ground floor to the 10th floor and two days later uh, they went out the window or plane crashes or car accidents, uh, usually unsolved car accidents where the car was run off the road and run down a, an embankment or, or a mountainside. I mean, it's rampant with those cases. So, um, and on, on, in almost every case, they were very famous. They were very well known. Uh, they were tenacious. They had information. They were letting it slip piece by piece, and it just seems like when they got to that point where they were just ready to blow the whistle, shall we say, uh, they become deceased. In one case, a husband uh, who had a very stellar health record came down with an unknown form of cancer and died within two weeks. His wife uh, questioned it. Uh, she came down with another type of unknown cancer that killed her in three weeks. So within five weeks, two researchers were taken out by an unknown type of cancer. That's bizarre. Uh, another researcher tried to commit suicide. It was a failed attempt. Um, and he goes out of his house on his wheelchair and goes down the road into a wash, matter of fact, in Tucson, and blows his own brains out. First of all, they're trying to figure out how he got out of the house in a wheelchair and how he got that far in a wheelchair. Um, I lived out there for eight years in Tucson, so uh, running a wheelchair along any of those roads is just like a death warrant. He would have been run over by a half a dozen cars before he even got to that wash. And why would he go down the wash if he was going to kill himself? Why didn't he just shoot himself in the house or go out in the backyard, not pedal himself in a wheelchair miles away from his home? Then you have uh, uh, researchers that were um, died during a robbery. Um, the only thing taken was their briefcase, their Rolex watch, their uh, wad of money of cash in their pocket was never touched, their wedding ring, nothing, nothing of any consequence that a, that a thief would take was taken, but his briefcase with his personal papers were missing. So... You know, it's um, bizarre is the best word I can come up with because 
you don't know. You don't. You don't even know. Even if you would stumble into something, I mean, that was really important or really proof. I would take so many precautions; it would be ridiculous. It would be just nuts. But unfortunately, I doubt I'll ever get involved in anything like that. Um, and the guys that are out there sprouting, you know, their past experience, uh, they work for uh, Lockheed Martin or they did this, that, and the other thing over their lifetime, and they come up with these fantastic stories of we had uh, saucers. Uh, the only saucer the military ever pre presented to the public was the uh, Avro Project, which was actually built in Canada, uh, and um, it only flew like 35 miles an hour and about six feet off the ground, and then they ditched the program, so they say. But that base is still, even though it's closed, still has activity. So what are they doing in a closed base? When they were questioned about it, you know what they said? Ah, just cleaning up old parts and making sure that uh, nothing's leaking in the ground and, you know, being environmentally safe and all that stuff. And everybody just went away and didn't ask any more questions. How many questions, though, should the public be asking? Well, that's another thing. You can ask all the questions you want and file all the Freedom of Information Act reports you want to file. We've been through that. You get nowhere. That's You might as well just take your head and beat it against the wall. Have a beer and do it again. You're not going to get an answer. You get every excuse in the world. I had one FOIA request come back on a case where they said, I misspelled a word. A word. And I don't even know what the word was. Everything looks fine to me. And then when I re redid it and sent it in, then it came back. Uh, what was the second one? Uh, I had um, I had asked for the wrong date. Well, the date I specified was you know uh, almost a year, like you know April first of ninety six to April first of ninety seven. So that's a year, and I gave him the wrong date. Well, if I knew the perfect date, I would have asked him that. But that came back unanswered. So the Freedom of Information Act is pretty much a joke. Well, of course, they're not going to want you picking around mm. in things that they yep. don't want you to know, Butch. I lost a computer one time. I was nutsing around looking at underground bases, and I found, you know, the underground base here in Pennsylvania, Raven Rock. And I was just looking at it, you know, uh, where it's at and, you know, the shape and what, you know, that it's the uh, pen underground Pentagon in case of an attack. And, and when 9-11 happened, they took Cheney there and blah, 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 blah. And it's right on the Pennsylvania, Maryland, West Virginia border there uh, in Legionnaire, Pennsylvania. And my computer screen went black. And I was just going from one page to another. No rhyme or reason. I wasn't looking for anything. I was just nosing around. And I uh, couldn't get the computer restarted. It wouldn't start. And I took the computer to my computer guy, and he said, what the hell did you do? And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? He said, this computer's empty. I said, what do you mean it's empty? He said, everything in this computer is gone. He said, there's no operating system. He says, everything is burned up, burned out, done, clean, washed, and finished. He said, this is nothing but a boat anchor. And I told him what I was doing, and he said, you went somewhere where you shouldn't have went. Don't do it again. And that computer was junk. And I told that to a couple of my researchers, and didn't one of them do the same thing? 
went into that site and started messing around. And his $6,000 Sony Vio laptop, which he only had for about six months, became instant junk with one keystroke. So I tell people, when you're doing that kind of stuff, uh, be prepared that, you know, you could have all your information destroyed within a matter of minutes. Now, I had a backup, and I back up my stuff on, well, back then it was a disk. Uh, now it's digital, but I back up every four hours automatically. So if I do lose anything, I'm only losing four hours worth. And that has protection on it that nothing can feed back into it and erase that. But that's what they tell me. <laughs> you know, it could happen again, and I go to open it up, and it would be empty too. So got to be careful what you're looking for. Um, I see Everett's got a question there. Yeah, a couple questions from Everett here. He says, which he hesitates to ask this, but what do you think about all the reports of secret bases, aliens, and UFOs underneath the Antarctic? Uh, the secret bases, probably, that's a yes. Uh, the aliens and UFOs in the Arctic, I have no idea. Uh, I really haven't seen a lot about that, although there are a couple of stories out there. But bases, oh, absolutely. I mean, if you were gonna if you were gonna hide the Antarctic, <laughs> I mean, you could, there's a lot of places to hide. There's places that people have never been yet. Um, you know, uh, World War II. I mean, you know, you had uh, Hitler's uh, group up there. You know, putting a base in. Um, that's well documented. Um, uh, New Schwabenland was what it was called. Um, and remnants of that uh, were recently found by fin, uh, Finland, uh, where they found a, um, oh, well, they said it was a German or a Nazi uh, weather station. <clears throat> they found some some equipment. I mean, the people were long taken off that island, but nobody ever knew it was there. I mean, they found weapons. They found ammunition. They found foodstuffs. They found uh, radio gear, uh, stuff to keep them warm. I mean, it was uh, it was a base, and nobody ever knew it was there. Uh, it was found by a couple fishermen, and um, of course the Finnish army went in there and they cleaned it all out and got everything they could. But they pretty much showed everything on the internet. I mean, what they found. So and uh, they buy the dates on stuff uh, like foodstuffs and uh, some paperwork they found there. Uh, it had been there since 1939. So how many of those bases are still out there that we don't know about that may or may not be occupied? Another question from Everett, and he is asking, do you believe then that Bob Lazar's accounts at Area 51 are accurate? Um... I believe Bob Lazar was a tool of the government. Uh, he was put out there to disinform, spread disinformation, and um, when it first came out, you know, he was on every TV, radio, and news station in the world. And then all of a sudden, he just said, enough is enough. You know, he presented his proof, and that's the end of it. So where does Bob Lazar work today? for the same outfit that he said he was thrown out of. I thought he was in Michigan working on some sort of water car or something along those lines. 
some sort of different technology. Back working for the same old group. <laughs> yeah, uh, look, if you want to spread disinformation, use your own people. You know, they're, they're knowledgeable, they know what they're talking about, and uh, they know what they can say and they can't say, and they always say just enough to titillate you to get that little spark fired up that they know something that you don't, but they're going to share it with you eventually, but they never do. Uh, look, if this guy had any information that he was going to blow the whistle on, Bob Lazar would be under the dirt carpet a long time ago. See, I don't know about that. I really don't know, and I'll, I'll question you on that, because the one thing he did have going for him was the media. Oh, of course. And he knew that as long as he kept in the media eye, that he was safe. Well, yeah, but at, at the same time, you got to remember that all the stuff that he was going to the media with, not only could you say it was protecting him, but it could also be that he was feeding them the information so that they would spread that information, and uh, which they did. And up until just a number of years ago, they were continuing to spread Bob Lazar's information. And um, uh, it, it got to the point where uh, people just didn't believe him anymore, and they didn't believe... Uh, the news reports anymore, and that's when Bob Lazar just faded out of the system. I mean, he wasn't there anymore. Uh, he wasn't speaking at conferences. He wasn't on TV. He wasn't on the radio. He wasn't even on the Internet. And um, then all of a sudden, you know, he's back where he was working. And um, he said that right out on a, on a uh, radio show um, not too awful long ago, maybe two years ago, where uh, he was said, well, what are you doing now for a living? Where are you working at? Oh, he said, I'm back at the labs working, not my old job, he said, but I'm working on, you know, uh, kind of like putting out, like working on stuff for the benefit of mankind, you know, one of those stories. But a disinformation agent, and I, I, whether it's Lazar or anybody else, they, their story is already built behind them before they even come out. And then when they come out, they have their story to tell. Then the, the back story just reinforces what his story is. And the whole time the story is going back and forth and it grows and it shrinks and it grows and it shrinks. The disinformation is so wide because there's so much different interpretation of what the, whatever person's saying that everything is so screwed up till it's all over. You don't know who's telling the truth anymore. And, um, like, Bob Lazar, uh, at one point, very early on, said that he had written everything up in a paper, a white paper, that he distributed. Well, nobody ever came forward to say they had that white paper. And he never said who he gave it to. And um, John Lear um, pretty much believed everything he said, so Lear was putting him out a lot. But Lear's credibility isn't so great either. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the conspiracy theorists and the, um, the not-so-judgmental or smart news media will take any story they can run with, pretty much. And in Lazar's case, I mean, they ran full bore. And they had the backing of 
a couple people like Lear, uh, longtime insiders, uh, who helped push the story. Now, did they push the story because they believed him, or did they push the story because they were part of the misinformation and disinformation that was out there? I get that, too, but they sure seem to go a long way, wiping out his record, the oh, schooling yeah. that he had. I mean, they basically made him a non-citizen. Yeah. And, you know, these guys sign that work in these different labs. They sign just like anybody signs in the government of the, or the alphabet groups, FBI, CIA, DOD, whoever. They sign a paper that pretty much says, if, if I put out anything I'm not supposed to, you can lock me up. Why wasn't this guy locked up? I mean, he wasn't even arrested. He, nothing happened to this guy. He just came out of nowhere, spieled his story, and then as quick as he came out, that's pretty much how quick he disappeared. And anybody else, like one researcher said, uh, a friend of his accidentally said something one time at a meeting uh, while he was in the military, and he was actually uh, jailed <laughs> uh, on the base for six months, and then he was drummed out of the military. And he said it was a nothing. He, I mean, what he brought up and what he was talking about was nothing. It didn't mean anything. And you got Lazar out there pretty much spilling his guts about Area 51, what's there, the bodies, the propulsion system, this, that, and the other thing. And he didn't even get his fingers slapped. I understand that. But the power of the media, or so the oh, you think. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, the media, whether people know or not, are very, very powerful. They can take the truth and turn it into a bullcrap story in a matter of seconds, or they can take a bullcrap story and turn it into the absolute dead-on truth in a matter of seconds. And, uh, look, they're not held accountable. I don't know if anybody holds them accountable. They, they can pretty much get away with anything they want. Um, are there some good reporters out there and honest reporters? Yeah but they're few and far between. When I first became a police officer, the very first thing my chief told me when, on the first day I started, he said, you will never, under any circumstance, give any information to the news media, ever. He said, I don't care if you're standing on top of the dead body you just blew away. He said, you don't answer any questions other than your name, your rank, and the department you work for. I got a funny story about that as we wrap things up. When I was in broadcasting school, I was doing some freelancing. And in my hometown, my medical office where my doctor was, was up in flames. So all here's all my medical files up in flames along with all his other patients. I walked up and I'm wa trying to get to the media area where the police uh, and the fire chief were going to speak. I said to the one police officer, I said, wow, that's quite a fire. She looked down. She saw my microphone pointed to the ground. She goes, what fire? <laughs> yeah. And I said, I guess you don't see that burning building behind you, but thank you for your time. Butch, it's <laughs> always great to have you on Space Out Radio. My friend, where can people find more information about you? Uh, they can go to euphorcop.com. Uh, if they need to get a hold of me, there's a page on there where it says contacts. They can contact me. 
uh, send me an email. Uh, I, I watch those religiously and pick them off every couple minutes when I get them. Uh, I will call them post-haste, I mean, as quick as I can. Uh, if they need information or if they're looking for somebody to help them out and they're in another state or something like that, uh, I will do whatever I can to help them find the person they need to talk to or the group they need to locate. Uh, if it's something historical, uh, they can email it to me, and I will go through the databases and uh, pull up what they're looking for if we have it, which normally we do. But um, anything else I can help them with, we're open. Uh, if you need us on the scene and you're in the state of Pennsylvania, uh, send an email. I'll give you a call. We'll make arrangements with whatever you got as a problem or an incident. and uh, Or I'll have one of my other investigators in the state take care of it. Uh, if you're in other states, we have we have people all over. So, um, And if you're if in you Canada, Butch is sending you my way. Exactly. All right, Butch, you hold on. i got to wrap this thing up. Mr. Bumblefoot is getting close to... Ending this show for us, Bumblefoot, the official music of Spaced Out Radio. Tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern time, David Weatherly joins us. Haunted toys, paranormal talk, all night long. Remember, space travelers, do us a favor, tell a friend, and tell them that we here at the Mighty SOR, we own the night. Mr. Bumblefoot, take us home.